The Nashville Predators are trying to find out exactly what they are and tinkering with their roster after a disappointing first round exit at the hands of the Carolina Hurricanes. New Jersey is trying to get back to relevance while the Islanders successfully have done so. And the New York Rangers are trying to fight against Tom Wilson by getting tougher. But have the offseason moves made these teams better? And what kind of young stars can help turn things around? Episode 285 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Them Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Today, Brett, we'll start with uh, the team I first mentioned, the Nashville Predators, in our breakdowns. Yeah, they're, uh, they're kind of, an, I mean, an interesting team. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to tell if they're, I guess they are kind of rebuilding now. It's not hard to tell. They are rebuilding now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a rebuild. I would call it a hard reset, though. Because they have said goodbye to some notable players. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I like. I don't know if I see them making the playoffs. I mean, I guess we'll we'll see. A lot of these moves we've kind of already have talked about it because they had that famous uh, trade where they traded Ryan Ellis away to the Flyers and then immediately traded one of the players, Nolan Patrick, to Vegas. Um, and we did talk about that. So that was like their biggest move. But we also talked about the Victor Arvidsson trade. Um, that they ended up getting, but I don't know. I, I feel like, I, I guess you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if this team makes the playoffs, but it seems like a, like just those, based off of those two moves alone and the fact that they have like two, fir- they had two first round picks this year in the draft. Um, just like kind of, I think that signifies that they're, they're going to start this like rebuild and, um, and try to, um, and not really try to compete because, like, you know, you would think that you would want Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellis on your team um, if you're if you're going to contend. Um, but but yeah, we'll see. So, anyways, uh, they um, in terms of ads, they added David Riddick. Um, they also uh, David Riddick was a. I guess it wasn't a, oh, it was a, it was a signing. It was a one year, 1.25 million cap hit. Um, I guess I forgot to mention that Pecorine is on the subtractions list as well. Um, but uh, they also added Philip Myers and Cody Glass, which were on based off of those trades that I just mentioned. Um, and then in terms of subtractions here, they uh, subtracted Cal Yarncook, who I feel like is going to be an underrated player for Seattle. And, I mean, we'll talk about Seattle when we get there. But uh, but I feel like Yarn, not enough people are talking about Yarncook um, when they're talking about Seattle because uh, I feel like he could benefit from being on a new team and, you know, having some uh, possibly some more ice time there. Ryan Ellis, I've mentioned, Victor Arvidsson, they're losing – Eric Halla, um, they also subtracted, and then Pecorine, who retired, um, is also subtracted. Um, t- but, like, you know, I mean, uh, Rene, as good as he was in his career, I mean, I think they could kind of afford to lose Pecorine, uh, considering he's, like, 38 years old now. 
Um, and most of these guys, other than Ryan Ellis, they kind of um, they could afford to lose. Um, Arvidsson hasn't been himself for the last long while, and kind of could could benefit from a change of scenery, and we'll see. But um, but yeah, they could kind of afford to lose them. But it's also kind of tough to know if they're rebuilding or not. Um, in terms of re-signings, uh, Michael Granlin um, was kind of a big one that we kind of missed. Was uh, uh, five million for four years, four more years. Um, so that one's an interesting one. He's not he's a decent player, but uh, nothing really to sneeze at either. At the same time, um, also uh, Eli Tolvanen, um, he he's making three years, uh, one point four five million. Um, this could be, end up being a steal by the end of this contract because, like, I remember when this was tweeted at first, everyone thought it was like um, three years, four point three million. Because you're like, okay, that that sounds a bit reasonable because Tolvanen's kind of going to is one of their better young players, um, and he had you know he had a couple of hot streaks uh, throughout the year this year, um, but like the fact that he got one point four five million. Um, is insane to me for three years. It's it, the Nashville could um, end up, you know, this could end up being the best contract if uh, Tolvanen is um, as good as he's expected to be. Um, kind of like an Alex Beret Boulet contract, which we're we're going to talk about pretty, I mean, pretty soon. But um, but yeah, that that's a pretty crazy contract. Uh, do you have any comments on anything I just said for the last like five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a lot to dissect there. Of course, um, yeah. So the reason I say it's a hard reset and not a rebuild is because there are still some balls in the air, and there are two. They are Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm. Both are going to be free agents at the end of this year if they hit the open market on July 1st. I think David Poyle is going to keep Ekholm. Forsberg right now, it's a 50-50 coin toss. I can see him staying. I can see him leaving. But I think they absolutely need to keep Matias Ekholm in the mix. But if they move away from if they move away from both, uh, or even at least one, then I start to think, okay, maybe they're going to go in the rebuild direction. And it wouldn't shock me if they do go down that route, if big-name contracts like Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson are also moved out the door. Because... There was a lot about their offense last year that was totally underwhelming. The big guys weren't producing. Victor Arvidsson was one of them. Um, I, I like Philip Forsberg as a player, but traditionally, even though he's been the best player for them lately, he's been a hot and cold player. Like when he gets really hot, really streaky, one of the most dangerous threats in the league, goal scoring wise. But um, when he's not on his game and the goals aren't flowing he's he's still a pretty good player but not nearly as deadly um i do think the acquisition of philip myers and cody glass are interesting i'm i'm interested to see how they fit into the lineup uh same with matt luff un, i think could be an underrated acquisition there david riddick i think could be a capable backup for uc saros uh and i think he will have a bounce back here um, he's not going to be Pecorine level good, but um, being the winningest goalie in team history, that's tough shoes to fill. So I don't think David Rick has to worry about that. He just needs to play solid hockey and give his team a chance to win when called upon. 
Um, the trade away, the decision to trade away Ryan Ellis and Victor Arvidsson was, again, like we mentioned in real time, a sign of David Poyle saying, you guys had your shot. I kept this core together for as long as I could. Now I got to make some changes. And that's exactly what he did. Um, the Tolvanen contract, I think, is a replacement of Kali Yarncroak's team-friendly deal. Super, super team-friendly, and I agree, Brett. I think that uh, Tolvanen's going to work his way up the lineup, I think, as the capability of being a top six forward, a consistent top six forward. I, I hope that happens. Not really too surprised that they parted ways with Eric Halla. Erica Branson, eh depth defenseman that didn't really help them much not uh not surprised they didn't keep him either they also uh, recently lost to brad richardson who's now in calgary um so they did lose some depth guys on top of trading away ryan ellis and victor arvidsson there the grandland contract to me is an overpay i i liked some of his years in minnesota the last couple have been kind of underwhelming and I think paying him $5 million per year is not as much of an overpay as it is for Duchesne and Johansson, but it's not too far behind. Again, hopefully he can prove us wrong, but I wouldn't have signed him to that. Uh, what I am interested to see is how the rest of their defense shores up, particularly with the likes of uh, Jeremy Davies and Dante Fabro, where the young kids uh, fit into that mix. Uh, will we see perhaps down the road Philip Tomastino in the fold? He's a nice young prospect for them. Yep. Um, and guys like uh, Tanner Janot, who we saw uh, in, in pieces of Lapton, that really made, um, I wouldn't say a permanent fixture on the team, but a sign that, hey, I'm here, get used to seeing me on the highlight reels for a little bit. A type of player that can chip in with the odd goal and just do the little things right. I think guys like Tanner Janot are going to be really pivotal to how good or how bad Nashville is this year. Yeah, Tanner Janot was low-key pretty good uh, last year. So, so yeah, we'll see. Um, and, yeah, I guess you're mm-hmm. you're correct that, like, it's, it could be a reset. but And, like, the fact that, like, Eckholm's still on the team, Forsberg's still on the team kind of is a sign that maybe like they're they're still like not fully ready to go for it for Shane Wright or I don't know what the phrase is now that they're doing it. Um Sprite for sprint for right or something. I don't know. Fight for right. Um but um but yeah I, Fight I, I for know. your right to draft Shane Wright. Fight fight for your right to Shane yeah to Shane Wright. Um but um yeah, yeah. anyways I yeah, I, I guess there's there's that sense, but, like, you know, just the fact that, like, I don't know, that they, like, it, it seems like they, you know, they went out and traded Arvidsson, which would have helped them if they were going to start competing. Uh, same with Ryan Ellis. So it's, like, it seems like, yeah, I guess they could be a contender even still, but... Or they may win a couple games. It's not like they're terrible like the Sabres or the Coyotes are. But I wouldn't be surprised if they get like a top five pick this year in the draft. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't think David Poyle, for the most part, has given up on this team altogether. And he's willing to right. blow it all up. In fact, if things go well this year, 
I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the mix for someone like Alex Barkov. Maybe they use... Maybe they use the way of the buyout to get them more cap flexibility to make that happen. As it stands right now, Brett, in fact, they have $11.2 million in cap space to spend. True, yeah. So already point. right have now, they space. have room to improve their roster if they yeah, want to. Yeah, I think the thing that's um, kind so of... I, I'm interested to see where, where everything falls in that regard. I think the thing that's stopping them from really competing is the fact that they signed Matt Duchesne, um, who has five years left at $8 million, mm-hmm. and he's not... He's, yeah. he's not even close to that uh, may, being worth that much. Same with, like, Ryan Johansson, and he's making four years of $8 million. So it's just the fact that he's, like, you know, I think that's kind of going to hinder them anyway. So it kind of reminds me of, like, the Suter and Parise contracts in Minnesota. Yep, which um, is why so. I mentioned buyout. So, yeah, I guess they could buy, out, buy those guys out, um, but... Um, and they did leave those guys exposed, hoping that Seattle would take them. And I guess Seattle was smart enough to not budge on it. But, um, but yeah, I, I think the, those two contracts are really hindering them. And, and in that sense, like when you're saying like giving up on the team, Poyle's not really giving. I wouldn't consider like rebuilding, giving up on the team, because like the way that like even if they did have Ryan Ellison and Victor Arvidsson. I don't think they're like ready to compete for the cup. <laughs> like they're not, they're not at the same level as Vegas, Colorado, or um, you know Boston or uh, Tampa or any of these like top dogs in the in the league. So, um, so I, you're I right. Think, they're not at the level that they were a couple yeah. of years ago. When you say that, and right. now now that we're talking about the salary cap, I think there is one looming thing over their head, and and I've heard it in the Montreal media is if Shea Weber retires, that recapture oh, yeah. penalty is going straight to Nashville and it's going to royally screw with their cap situation. So I think David Poyle is low-key preparing for the bad news scenario of Shea Weber retired and we have to handle that recapture penalty. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's also going to factor into his decisions um Potentially, how buyouts are utilized. What I will. I will say that that's season. always like a weird. Uh, that's always a weird thing. Like the the same thing happened with Luongo, and I think there's a couple of other ones that uh, have that situation going on. It's always a weird thing because mm-hmm. it's like you could like there's nothing stopping the Montreal Canadiens just for putting him in an LTIR for the rest of his uh, contract. So I don't think there's any real danger for um, Nashville to. Um, to do that, uh, or like you know, that, true, but you've you got know, to operate under that. the possibility. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's always it's always possible because like you know, it did end up happening with uh, Vancouver and Luongo, but like Luongo had like one year left on his contract, so um, at that point. Um, anyways, um, so in terms of the good news about Nashville is they actually have a lot of good prospects coming up pretty soon, um, to the point where. I actually had three player pr- top prospect players uh, that I almost like that I was deciding on as their top prospects. Um, one is, of course, I'm kind of biased because this guy plays for Boston University, but David Ference, Um He's yep. a defenseman. Um, I'll, I'll just get to my honorable mentions first, and then we'll get to the main one for um, afterwards. Um, but. David Ference, uh, he had 15, uh, 16 points in 11 games 
uh, for Boston University, and then he played a little bit for Nashville. I, I guess he's expected to play more in the minor leagues this year. But, but like you're saying, that because they traded away Ryan Ellis, and it looks like um, maybe Eklund leaves as well, it's like all of a sudden uh, you add in David Ference and and um, and you know that it could look like they didn't lose that much of a step if they uh, start to lose Ekholm. Of course, they're going to miss miss Ellis and Ekholm, but it could potentially be not as bad considering that um, this Ference guy could be pretty good. Um, and like Fabro, he also is a BU alum. Um, he's he. He still has some potential left. I still believe in him. Jeremy Davies is another player who uh, played for Northeastern, um, and he was he was uh, he was decent for Nashville as well. So, um, so yeah, they they have a couple of defensive prospects. It, it's it's weird. I feel like Nashville just knows how to draft defense men for some reason. Yeah. It, it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, they've been they've been pretty good. And yeah. one of uh, the picks that uh, they traded away in 2008 turned into Eric Carlson. Yep. And in that draft, they took Roman Yossi anyways. So right, right, right. Imagine if they had Carlson and Yossi in that draft. Like, holy. Yeah, yeah. It's also, like, it's kind of funny, too, because I feel like, um, yeah, it's just, like, they, they had P.K. Subban for a while. They had, yeah, you're right. They have Roman Yossi. It's just, like, they have a plethora of uh, picks here, I guess. Um, Ryan Suter once upon Ryan a time. Ryan Suter once upon a time. Yeah, that's that's true too. Um, but like, if you want a dark horse Calder Trophy, David Ference may end up being that guy. But uh, but we'll see. <laughs> maybe maybe that's too crazy of a dark horse. Um, uh, speaking of dark horse uh, Calder picks, uh, another guy is uh, Philip Tomasino, um, who uh, Steve had already talked about, but he had. Uh, more than a point per game pace in the AHL uh, last year, uh, 32 points in 29 games for the Chicago Wolves. Um, he also played a little bit in the World Juniors, or not a little bit, a lot in the World Juniors, and he had six points in seven games. Um, what's interesting about him is that like he's a center, but he also like has like a scoring touch to him. Like he had four goals and two assists. Um, in those seven games in the World Juniors. And then, like, yeah, he still, like, assists a bit um, for, like, he had 19 assists in the AHL. But he also had, like, 13 goals, which isn't too bad for a center. Um, or that's a little bit more than a usual center would have. Um, and then, like, yeah, in the OHL, he, he's kind of, he kind of was, the like, the best player in the league pretty much for both Oshawa and Niagara. Um I remember when I used to do like the math in my head from elite prospects, but I, um, I'll just say that it was pretty good um, <laughs> when he was in the OHL. Um, but, um, but yeah, he, uh, but yeah, it, it's interesting. And we just talked about how like yeah, they have they they have a lot of money tied to Ryan Johansson um, and Matt Duchesne. They just got Cody Glass. So they're probably not expecting Tomasino to be pretty good, or if he is going to be in the league, he might just end up being a right winger because um, he's a right shooter, right-handed shooter. But um, but yeah, at the same time, like, um, but he he's definitely going to be an exciting player to watch, and he could also be like a dark horse 
candidate, even more of a dark horse than uh, David Ference was. Yeah, that's interesting about Tomasino. I, I don't think he's as much of a dark horse candidate as Ference is. I think Ference is more of a dark horse candidate because, again, there are so many great defensemen that they have, even yeah. without Ryan Ellis. They still have that going for the time being. And they have upside with Dante Fabro, Jeremy Davies as well. Right. Maybe someday he could have, like, a top four pairing potential uh, in the NHL um, as soon as, like, maybe his third, fourth, fifth season, depending on how things shake up. Um, but I definitely think the offensive upside is there. I think what's best for his development is just play a full season in the AHL. Just let him develop his game. Yes. And then see what he's got next year. I think that would be the best plan of attack for Ference. Yep. I think Tomasino, you give him another season in the AHL to develop, pretty pretty good stuff. I think he has another good year there. And if he's ready, if he has a good camp, maybe see what he's got for like the first seven, eight, yep. nine games or whatever, and then then decide from there. I'm not opposed to keeping him and burning off a year of his ZLC if he's contributing that well for the Predators. They need the young guys to play well and develop. And if Tomasino's best route to do that is the NHL, then keep him in the a in the NHL, work on his game, and see what happens. Yeah, I, I guess I should clarify that, yes, I think uh, Ference is a much bigger dark horse, and I would expect that we'll see Ference in the AHL for probably the majority of the time, if not the whole time. But, uh, but yeah, the, I think the thing with, like, Tomasino is that he had 32 points in 29 games for the AHL. There could be a point when it's, like, he's too good to be in the AHL and you're kind of, like, wasting his potential um, in Chicago. So then you just move him up. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean as well. But I, I think we're more likely to see Tomasino. The fact that they're playing in, like, divisions, like, I don't really know if you're getting the full AHL experience, if you're really going Fair. up against the best of the best. That's but, but yeah, but, like, even still, like, 32 points in 29 games, even in, like, the weird AHL season that they had, yeah. still pretty good. You're not wrong. It's still pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I think I think we have a pretty good chance of seeing him in the NHL this year. Um and then we go to our actual best prospect here um, is uh, Yaroslav Askaris. I almost said Halak. <laughs> Yaroslav Askarov. Um, he, um, he was actually a first-round pick last year, 11th overall. Um, kind of like starting this, uh, not really starting the trend, but I guess the trend started the year before that with Spencer Knight. But... Uh, but yeah, uh, Askarov was drafted 11th overall, which is pretty high for a goalie. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was playing for Scott St. Petersburg um, in the KHL um, his draft year. Um, he also played a little bit in the VHL. Um, and he was, you know, he was pretty good for Scott St. Petersburg, even though it was one game his draft year. Uh, where he only gave up two goals, um, and he had a save percentage of 920. Um, then he played uh, uh, even more games um, in the KHL the following year, uh, in, but it was only nine games, to be fair. Um, and he had 1.21 GAA and a 951 save percentage. 
which is very good. A record of five, somehow he didn't he lost some games <laughs> even with that impressive record there. Uh, he he went five four and zero, um, in one shutout there as well. Um, and I guess he also was impressive too in the VHL where he had nine twenty three save percentage and a two point one two a GAA in a um, in six games. Um, in the VHL, which is like the league lower um, than the KHL in Russia. Um, I, I guess like what we all knew, like have seen him in was in the World Juniors. Um, he wasn't as impressive, but again, it's it's so tough to like tell with goalies. Um, but uh, but yeah, in, in the, that, any, it still was decent numbers still. It was like a 9.14 save percentage and a 2.5 GAA in those six games that he played in the World Juniors. Um, he's in expect- fairness, I would argue that his World Junior outing last year was better than one in his draft year. True. In his draft year, it was an 8.77 save percentage. Yeah, and I remember in particular, um, he was scrutinized for, for his play. Yeah, and I remember I that I think too. that kind of led to the Russians' downfall there. I remember... So I don't know if he was like lights out amazing... Um, in the 2021 World Juniors, but definitely better numbers-wise than uh, yeah, his, his draft year outing. For well, sure. what's interesting, too, is now that I'm looking at that, uh, you know, that, that World Juniors where he had an 877 save percentage, he still went 2-1 for Team Russia that year. So, <laughs> he like, he still ended up having a winning record. It's just, like, it's, it, uh, it doesn't seem like it from your save percentage. Yeah, so, so, that's, so that's where yeah. the bad karma came in the KHL. But, it was like... This is for your, this is for your above five hundred record, the World Juniors, and you're you have a sub nine hundred save percentage. Right, right, right. So the, yeah, so the thing with Askarov is that like yeah, like you know you never really know with goalies, but like if if you can judge anything from Shosturkin or Sam Sororkin or Samsonov, it's like this guy's probably going to be pretty good once he like figures out the North American ice. Um, and that could be in a few years. So, like, we probably won't even see him, like, even next year. But uh, when we do, we'll see, you know, he should be pretty good. Um, like, if he's as good as Shesterkin, I think that's all Nashville could hope for. Um, but, like, the thing is, is, like, there's not really a huge rush to get him in goal because, one, it seems like Nashville is going on a rebuild. And secondly, uh, UC Saros is their best player. So... Um, he's a very good goaltender, and um, and he was a, a big reason why the Predators even made it to the playoffs in the first place this this past year. So, um, so I, I think they're they're in good shape in goal for for the time being. Yeah. So that goaltending situation, by the way, is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, you look at UC Saros, and absolutely, he was lights out by far. The only reason why Nashville was a playoff team, despite their underwhelming offense, was the only reason they had a snowball's chance in you-know-where against Carolina in the first round. There were games like three and four where he basically stole them in a pair of double O team marathons and kept Nashville in it. And beyond that was the reason why Nashville had a chance. Um, his second half was enormous. He got rewarded handsomely with a $5 million per year contract. Over four years, and the key is four years. I believe that Askarov's contract in the KHL, I think it ends after this year. 
So that is Nashville's golden opportunity to say, hey, want to turn pro? Right. At, like to ask uh, Askarov if he's ready to go to North America and uh, continue the next stage of his hockey career. So if Askarov goes that route and he turns pro with the Predators, um, that leaves three years left on UC Saros's current four-year contract that he's going to be on. So at that point, you have three years to put him through the AHL, which will probably take a year, I think year and a half, two years at the max. And then you bring him up to the NHL and see what he's got. Because the theory is, is that Askrob is the goalie of the future. At some point, he will be Nashville's number one guy and not UC Saros. For now, UC Saros is the hands-down, clear-cut, number one favorite. And there's there's no rule saying he can't be, even if after these four years, Askrob's ready to go. Maybe they keep uh, UC Saros around, and it's a 1A, 1B tandem uh, with Askarov for a bit. Um, but you look at the intangibles that this guy has, and I, I will disclaim that if you look at Cheshyrkin and Sorokin's numbers and some of the numbers that KHL goalies put up, um, the, GAA, the low GAA and the high save percentage, it's not uncommon in the KHL, mostly because of, I would like to call it the European ice effect. Um, it it kind of translates into that impressive goalie statistics. Uh, definitely the 5-4-0 record and one shutout in that stretch is interesting for Askarov. But if you look at the intangibles, and that would be his size and athleticism, it's easy to see why he was almost a top 10 pick his draft year. Six foot four, 176 pounds, will likely need to add a bit more muscle. But like Vasilevsky, you look at Vasilevsky, the dude's just a freaking beast, a freak of nature. And he's like six foot three plus, like six foot three at least. And in his athletic ability is part of the reason why he's so good. And here's what makes Askarov so good, according to Elite Prospects, is that he utilizes a range of depth management to make the most out of his wide stance and fluid movements. So Again, his athleticism is going to be key there. His reaction speed, pretty good. That helps him a lot. That helps any goaltender out a great deal. He does a good job of controlling himself within the blue paint. Um, Not always easy to do, um, but very key for goaltenders as well. And he's also difficult to pull out of his position by holding sustained pressure on his team's end of the ice, which, again, very important for a goaltender. So he checks off all the intangible boxes that you're usually looking for from a legit number one starter. I don't know if he's going to be Vasilevsky god tier good. Maybe he is like in his mid-20s like Vasilevsky. But I definitely think he has potential to be a legit number one goalie in this league for many, many years. And the next step is up to him. And he's only 19 years old. So I'm interested to see this kid grow and where he slots in. And Unlike a lot of goalies, he catches with his right hand, not his left. Interesting. I so didn't that, know that adds another layer of intrigue, too. I didn't know that. That's an interesting... Yeah, actually, that's something I don't really think about. That's that's good insight from a former goalie as yourself. I didn't realize that most <laughs> yeah. goalies catch with their left hand instead of their right. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a left-handed catching goalie, and I hold the stick with my right hand. But uh, Askarov is one of 
this uh goalies like steve mason where he catches with his right hand and holds the stick with his left is that just because of like the handedness like he's a left-handed guy or something like that or yeah it could be something like that although i'm sure there are other guys there are other goalies in the nhl that like right with their left hand but they catch with their left hand it's not right. the other way around uh, but interesting. yeah i i don't know how goalies get like that um maybe maybe whatever works for them maybe they just have a better feel of handling the stick with their left right, hand right. I, that's always been a curious uh point of debate for me is how do these right-handed goalies come about why do they take this directive yeah, um, so that that's always kind of intrigued me about uh, about Askarov, and probably the best in, in the NHL to be a right-handed catching goalie is Grant Fuhrer. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I guess it's something that I don't even really think about, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, you're you're more of a fan of can you stop pucks? Right, right, can right. You get with- well, I, like, I, yeah. Like I sometimes pay attention, like I guess in particular because the Bruins need left-handed defensemen. Um, so like I am like focused on like okay, which defensemen are left-handed and which ones are right-handed. So I can, and I can also understand why there's that need of it. Same with like left wingers and right wingers. I can understand why there isn't, but for some reason I just hadn't thought of like why goalies would like. Oh yeah, of course. Goalies are could be lefty or righty as well. It's just maybe not as much of an impact that you don't realize it. Anyways, we're getting a little bit sidetracked here. Um, uh, so we're now going to the wild card prospects. Um, this is a, another one because the Predators have so many good prospects. It seems that um, I am going to go with a first rounder pick. Uh, but I do want to talk about because they had two this year. I do want to talk about the the other one first just for a little bit before I go to uh, the other one that I do want to talk about. Um, But uh, Fedor uh, Sveshkov, he's another Russian. Um, They actually drafted before this other guy that we're about to talk about, Zach LaRue. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, if you look at his stats, 15 points in 15 games for the, in the MHL, uh, then he uh, has 15 points in, 38 games for the VHL, so it doesn't like, you know, maybe he still needs some getting used to in the VHL. He's going to play for Scott St. Petersburg, which is the same place that Askarov's playing for. But, like, when you read his scouting report, it seems like um, he's, like, one of the best, like, two-way forwards um, in this draft class. Um, And it could, you know, if he pans out well, he could end up being, like, a, a good center for them or potentially even a winger for them. Because, uh, like, his defensive abilities is very, um, is, like, NHL-ready almost. Um, and um, and he has the, that potential to be, like, a Ryan O'Reilly type um, of player. So that should be interesting to see in the future. Um, but, like, who knows how much he can score, which I guess is kind of, like, um, unclear at the moment. Um, I, I kind of mentioned this guy when... Um, when we were doing this draft recap, but I'm talking about Zach LaRue now, um, because one, he kind of reminded me a lot of Brad Marchand whenever I was reading all his, um, his, his scouting reports, uh, about how like he plays with, uh, physicality. Um, he's like, he hits a lot of times. He, uh, he like, he's always like in everyone's face. He's a bit of a potster. Um, 
And so that kind of just reminded me of Zach LaRue to the point where I wanted the Bruins to draft this guy um, at, uh, at uh, 20th overall. Uh, instead, we they can't got... give the Bruins that much chaos, Brad. You all yeah. know that. And like, even the fact that like he had um, what was crazy is that he had uh, four suspensions um, in this <laughs> in this year, which is uh, just just kind of really funny. Um, but like, you know, maybe like when you look into it, it seems like it was just wasn't so bad because some of it was just like the team retaliated and stuff. But that was, that's, like, basically what Brad Marchand, Tom Wilson, the Kachucks do, pretty much. So, um, if he's if, if he can bring that out, it's it's cool. And then when you look at his stats, it's like, oh, he's actually, like, a good player, too. Uh, he has 39, he had 39 points in 33 games um, for Halifax. Um, and then uh, the year before that, for Moncton, he had 53 points in 55 games. Um, so... So, yeah, I mean, you know, now he's kind of like a point-per-game, more than a point-per-game player. Um, And, yeah, I'm kind of interested to see um, what more, like, what other antics he can do for Halifax this this next year. Because, like, I don't know, I feel like we need more of these kind of antagonizers in the NHL. Um, And hopefully he can, uh, can make a name for himself somehow in the NHL in the future. I feel like you're very hyped about Zach LaRue's game, but if he was on a divisional rival, you oh, yeah. probably wouldn't like him well, as much. Well, the, the fact that, like... <laughs> you're just like, thank God yeah. he's not in my conference. Well, the fact that, like, he's from, uh, you know, he's from Montreal, Quebec, and the fact that he's probably a, grew up as a Habs fan, I just, I wouldn't, like, that That was the worst thing in the world if, if the, the Habs <laughs> ended up drafting him. But it turns out, like, what was cool about or what's telling about the the Predators is that they actually traded two of their second round picks to Carolina in order to move up in the draft just to select this guy. Um, and then I guess uh, the Habs picked like two picks afterwards or something like that. So, um, so, so it's just like that's just telling of how much they love this guy is that um, they were willing to like trade um, trade up by like taking two picks um, um, away um, that they could have used for you know to further their farm team, but yeah, they ended up taking this Zach Larue guy, and it, it looks like he, he could be pretty good. And I just like those players who can get under their skin. But yeah, I guess you're right. Like I don't I hate Tom Wilson. Um, I hate them when they're not on my team. But luckily, Nashville's not in the same division as the Bruins are, so. Um, so I don't, I don't think I'll ever have to hate Zach Yeah, and, and funny about uh, Nashville and Carolina is the next day Nashville traded up again. They traded away two picks to get yep. one for Carolina. Right, right, which right. Is, which I, I always find those tidbits interesting. But getting off topic yeah, here. Yeah, that's a good point. Good news for you, Brett, is that Tom Wilson is 6'7". Zach LaRue is only 5'11". But he yep. weighs 196 pounds. Yeah, yeah. So, like, a guy that's not 6 feet and weighs 200... You can understand where he gets the physicality part of his game. He's a pretty big dude. And a guy that takes a lot of pride in his hitting. Um, a guy that will, again, like you say, stir the pot after whistles. Not afraid to fight either. Um, but again, a very solid two-way defensive player, like we mentioned. And you went through his numbers uh, in his two seasons in the QMJHL. Um 
his first season with Moncton, he got 20 goals, 33 assists for 53 points in 55 games. So as a rookie, close to a point-a-game player, that's pretty good. And then he gets uh, moved to Halifax in his first year with the Mooseheads, 39 points, 33 games. Uh, 19 of those 39 points are goals. So 19 and 33, not a bad goals per game ratio there. And, and that season was back and forth because of COVID. Uh, and in the Maritimes in particular, it was a bit easier for him to play because they had this uh, Atlantic bubble thing going on. And I think the COVID situation was a bit more controlled in the Maritimes than it was across Quebec. So that's part of the reason why he got to play the amount of game. Um, but yeah, it, overall, I, I, I like this pick. It's definitely something that, I think could redefine the national predators, the youth movement they have. Uh, like like we've mentioned in the case of other teams as well, Brett. We're look we've we we've seen prospects that can just set plays up all the time and score goals all the time. But you need those couple of two dimensional, three dimensional players, guys that are two way specialists that can also score and pass guys that can hit and fight while also score and pass. And this guy is the type of dimensional player that's unique to the Predators and makes them a tougher team to play against. Sure, you can be the Toronto Maple Leafs and load up on all this talent, but you need a Zach Hyman type of guy on your team that can mix it up and do the dirty work for you, but also be an effective point producer. And I think Zach LaRue can be that type of guy. Um, I think... The size, it, it'll be interesting to see how that affects into his NHL success. But again, I think out of the gate, he's really going to make a statement, make his presence felt in that very tough central division. And I think that's what Nashville is going to rely on moving forward. And a guy that is already eager to get going because he signed his entry-level contract. He's under contract with the Predators now. Yeah, I believe Sveshkov also signed an entry-level as well, so... Um, yeah, that's a good point, too. It's like, that's always a telling thing. We never really talk about the entry-level contracts that uh, these players sign right on their draft year, but, um, but yeah, that, that is a good point, that it could be a good sign that they're, they're thinking of seeing him in the league pretty soon. Um, By the way, um, before we move on, I just want to give an honorable mention to this guy from Finland, and his name is Yuso Parsonen. And he's 20 years old. In February, he'll be 21. He's a center, 6'3", weighs 198 pounds. Seventh round pick of the Predators in 2019, okay? This year in the Liga, or sorry, uh, this past year in the Liga, eight goals, 34 assists for 42 points in 55 games, a league amongst men. The year before in that same league, he had five goals, seven assists for 12 points in 31 games. And for heading into his second season with TPS in the Liga, he's an assistant captain. So if you want to look for an actual dark horse and not a first rounder, Parson is your guy and could impress someday with the Predators too. Interesting. I'll, uh, I, that's some, I'll mark him on my, uh, my fantasy teams. Um. <laughs> yeah. For future drafts, you know, it could be a late, you know, Right. You know, can't miss gamble for, like, your final Yeah, game. I mean, like, I won't, like, pick him up right now, but I'll be like, oh, right, that's yeah. the guy that uh, Steve was mentioning when uh, 
when I was when I see him. Um, okay, so now we go to New Jersey. Um, I guess we're doing all the end teams this year, uh, this week, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, we're uh, we already talked about the Dougie Hamilton um, ad. We talked about the Ryan uh, Graves uh, trade when when that happened. Uh, we didn't mention that Thomas Tatar signed with the New Jersey Devils. Um, it was a two-year deal, four point five million. Uh, this one's, uh, I mean, it's kind of interesting too, because like uh, uh, Tatar was a healthy scratch for Montreal throughout their entire uh, playoff run, but like he he actually ended up having like decent stats this this past year. Let me pull that up just a second, um, and. So it is kind of like interesting, like why was he healthy scratch? Oh yeah, he had thirty points in fifty games. So it's like it's not terrible, not great either, but um, but yeah, not like healthy scratched either, like enough. That that's kind of it's kind of a strange thing. And this was like the year before that, um, he had sixty one points in sixty eight games for them. So it's like what ended up happening where like he was really good for them. The year before that, but then he was like unplayable um, for them uh, when they were pretty good. Um, I guess you you were right. I think you even called it that Tatar was getting moved, um, like the writing was on the wall. But it does make you wonder why he wasn't even played in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, this could end up being like a sneaky move for the New Jersey Devils, where like it kind of went under the radar for a lot of te- uh, for a lot of people, um, and like. You could end up being like if the Devils do end up like being a, a serious contender um, in this league, we're going to be like, oh, right, like th- Thomas Tatar was the steal of this free agent frenzy where uh, Tatar actually is like a legitimate contributor for for them. Yeah. I feel like even in his days in Detroit, Thomas Tatar was kind of this very interesting figure where it looks like, oh, man, this guy's the future. He's going to be a huge part of this team moving forward. And then people kind of think less of him, and then he goes to Vegas. And they're just like, oh, man, we gave him right. like a first or second and a third. Right, and then right. he gets like six points in 20 games and is a non-factor in the playoffs for them. And, and then he goes to Montreal, and then bang, 58 points in 80 games. People are always talking about, oh, we got Nick Suzuki for Max Patch ready. You got a couple of good years out of Thomas Tatar. Like, right. like he was just thrown in. Like, what a sweetener of a of a deal for Montreal. And then, as Brett mentioned, 61 points in 68 games. And 30 and 50, that's still .60 points per game. That's not too bad. Right. And I definitely think New Jersey, if you look at their offense now, they need a veteran goal scorer or even, like, a top six point getter. And I think Thomas Tatar, for for what he is, I think fits the bill pretty nicely. And you only get him on a two-year contract. It's um, under, like, a respectable cap hit of $4.5 million. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, then he becomes a valuable trade piece at the trade deadline for a contending team, perhaps. So I, I think it's a low-risk, high-reward. I, I like the upside there. Now, taking a look at where Thomas Tatar slots into the Devils lineup on daily faceoff, I'm just taking a look at um, how things line up for the Devils in terms of 
their young forwards because they do have a lot of them. There were a lot of guys that I was impressed with last year. Uh, Jesper Bratz, obviously a very good player for them, but also guys like Igor Sharangovich. You're just like, where did this guy come from? And he's, uh, I think, a future top six forward for them. So that's that's why I think they only went short-term with the TAR is because there are a lot of young forwards that I think uh, are really going to drive the boat moving forward. And Tatar, it's going to be a case of, yeah, maybe we'll keep him around for longer than just these two years. But if these young guys develop like we think they will, maybe we won't need Thomas Tatar. So that's another reason why I think the two-year route was the best route. So here are the lineups that they have at the moment. And of course, subject to change. Um, but they have Kulkanen on the left side, Sharon Govich on the right side, Jack Hughes down the middle. That's your first line. Then you have Tatar as a second line left winger, Jesper Bratt on the right wing, Nico Heischer down the middle. So Nico Heischer is your second line center. That could be an interesting line there. You have uh, Miles Wood as the third line left winger, Michael McLeod on the right side, Pavel Zaka down the middle centering the third line. And then uh, line four has Nolan Foote, another promising prospect for the Devils. Fourth line left winger with Andreas Johnson as the fourth line right winger and Jesper Bjorkvist centering that fourth line. And Andreas Johnson is another one of those players with a fair amount of upside when he got traded there. But I don't think has really shown um, that NHL production that he did with the Leafs. So, um I would say a very underrated offense. Not really sure what to expect overall from New Jersey as a team, especially in that tough division. It's really going to be tough to gauge. But I, I, I do applaud their boldness to kind of go big on some of these names. Uh, and some of the names that they've picked up are kind of like, I, 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 I wouldn't say underrated, but like I wouldn't say uh, revered players either. They're kind of like middle of the pack kind of players, but I think could have big impacts for them. Yeah. Thomas the Tarzan. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess you're right. I don't. I'm not like. I feel like it's so early to like start to put him like what what wing is he gonna be on and, and stuff like that. But but yeah, I, I think he's he's definitely in the mix for like a, a middle six role for them. And uh, you know, even if he's on the third line, he could contribute. Uh, for them as well, and that's that's pretty solid or like good depth for them, um, either way. Um, and then uh, let's see here what other ads uh, Jonathan Bernier, uh, they all the Devils get, which is kind of huge for the Devils because like a big part of why the Devils faltered towards the end of the year. Well, besides the fact that they like they had like a, a huge, like they were affected a lot by COVID, but. Um, but I, I think another big part was the fact that Corey Crawford retired like two days before the season started, and he was supposed to be their backup for uh, Blackwood and kind of be the mentor type for for them. And it, you know, um, and Blackwood is as good as he is. Um, he kind of needs another uh, goalie for them so that they can rest him more effectively and be on his game for the, a full season instead. Um, so they end up signing Jonathan Bernier for two years, four point one two five million. Um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I mean, Bernier had like was decent for Detroit, but, um, but yeah, it's it's not like um, I, 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 I don't hate this uh, move because it's like he. He could be uh, pretty good, or as like a, at least a one B situation if they if they decide to go that route. Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head with Bernier. Like, and and it, sh- it showed throughout the rest of the season. Like you had names like Eric Comrie for like one game yep. appearing for the Devils, and then the rest of the way was Aaron Dell, <laughs> who's now in Buffalo. So right. like. Not the best supporting cast behind Mackenzie Blackwood, and they need a stable number two guy that can provide wins and be a good veteran mentor. And I think they were expecting Crawford to be that. Obviously, it didn't work out uh, for for Corey Crawford's decision. Um, I think Jonathan Bernier is probably the best option they could have gotten. And they only and unlike Carolina, they got him through just picking him up on the free agency wire. They didn't need to trade for him. They just signed him. So I think it was a really um, bold, uh, I wouldn't say bold, but like, um, because it would probably be bolder if it was like a four-year or five-year deal, but it's a very short-term deal, which I I think was the right way to go there. Um, And for, I, I know people crap on the Red Wings for how bad they were, Jonathan Bernier put up some decent numbers with the Red Wings. Yep. So if he can do that on Detroit, maybe he's not the main ingredient that New Jersey needs to turn this ship around in the right direction, but I certainly think he can be a key ingredient to help them out. Not the main one, but a key one. Yep. Um, in terms of subtractions, uh, Nathan Bastian is a, uh, was the Seattle pick for them. Uh, they can afford to mm-hmm. lose him. Will Butcher, I think we talked a little bit about them when we, when we were talking about Buffalo, but I guess it makes sense considering they added Dougie Hamilton and Ryan Graves. Yeah, that's basically why yeah. they traded Butcher, because it literally happened the same day, or the day after. Yep. Uh, Nick Merkley is uh, is gone. Um, what's, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this more in uh, San, when we talk about San Jose, but I thought Ryan Merkley and Nick Merkley were brothers. It turns out no, it's just a coincidence nope. that they have the same last name. But yeah, so he, uh, Nick Merkley is going to San Jose. Christian Jaros goes to the New Jersey Devils um, in that trade. So, so that's kind of a little bit interesting from that perspective. Um, and then uh, Ryan Murray, um, I think he ended up going to Colorado. Um, he did. Yeah, Colorado. Right. So, so that's another interesting development there. But I, I mean, like he was a top tier draft pick for them a couple of. Um, or like they, they, it was a Columbus, he was a Columbus draft pick, but then he ended up going to New Jersey. Um, but it turned out like he wasn't really so great for them. But um, but yeah, it, it could be an interesting move. Um, but I think it's another one where they can afford to lose him, particularly when they do have Dougie Hamilton, Ryan Graves, and uh, not to mention they have PK Subban still there. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. The Devils are kind of an interesting team because, like, I could see the Dougie Hamilton move and the Ryan Graves move and the T- Thomas Tatar move, like, working out for them. But then at the same time, it's like, like, I, I feel like I say this every year that the Devils, like, this is the year that the Devils, like, go a step ahead. But, but now it's, like, to the point where I feel like that's not going to happen. And, of course, like, that's just going to mean that it's going to happen because I don't believe in them anymore but um but we'll see 
Um, there were some stretches last year where I thought the Devils yeah. had what it took to turn things around. And then the second half happened and smacked him right upside the head. Yeah. And, and I, I think, again. yeah, that, that is a good point. And I think also to be fair to them, they were in a very tough division. Um, they also had, as I mentioned, they had like a COVID breakout um, as mm-hmm. well. And I think that truly uh, broke their season because they, they had a real shot at making the playoffs. But once they like half their team had COVID, they kind of like, couldn't deal with it anymore so they just um they had to um they just weren't in it anymore but um but yeah I I guess that is a good point that like they did show like because I saw them a lot because they were in the Bruins division um yeah they they do have a lot of promise I do love Jack Hughes Nico Keisher should be back should be good in, in good health even though he pretty much missed the whole year I mean I know he played a couple of games um but but he should be in full health this year. So, um, so yeah, they, they do have potential to break out, but they're also in a tough division again. But this time, they don't have to always play teams in their own division. Um, and they could, like, you know, um, uh, start beating up on other bad teams in other divisions, too. So, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I and, and they're, and, and like... The, the Metro division is unlike any other division. Mm-hmm. You uh, Being good isn't good enough. You need to be abnormally yep. good to be a top three team. And then in the wild card, you're going to have, again, a mixture of Atlantic and Metro teams. Both divisions are pretty good in the, for, for other reasons um, that uh, New Jersey is going to have to fight through. I don't think they have what it takes to do that now, but... I hope they're better this year than they were last year. And all I want to see is progress. Like, Igor Sharangovich, take a step up from what he did last year. Yanni Kokonen, same thing. Michael McLeod, same thing. Jack Hughes, Ty Smith, same thing. Mackenzie Blackwood, legit number one starter. Bernier, not far behind playing good hockey. Like, keep the good times going. Learn how to win this year so it's easier to win later. If they can be hovering around 500, like three or four games below 500, I call that a good season for the Devils. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, now we start to go to the New York teams, which is fun. Um, and uh, We didn't talk about their prospects, though. Yeah, good point. We didn't. <laughs> um, so, so I guess like Nash... We're, we're that eager to talk about the Islanders and the Rangers, eh, Brett? I know. It's, uh, I never thought I, that would be the day. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, what's funny is like, I have a tab open for their prospects and I was just like, oh, right. <laughs> but like, I also have a tab open for like the cap friend, their cap friendly page. So it's like, oh, like, right. We're, we're talking about the Islanders now. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking of the cap space, I should mention the Devils also have a lot of that. They have 12.1 million left still. That's interesting. Even though they signed uh, Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. I was about to say like, even when they have... Dougie and uh, PK Subban um, to long mm-hmm. contracts. They still have some money, so that's that's kind of interesting. I wonder if they make PK a... Subban. By the way, will be a free uh, agent after this year, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Right, but I think uh, isn't Nico Heischer? He's going to be an RFA pretty soon, right? Um, oh, oh no, he signed a, a long contract. Never. Mind. No, I think he was extended to a previous yeah, contract. Yeah, so he hasn't. Never mind. I thought they had to. 
Oh, Jack Hughes. Jack is Hughes will yeah. be soon, though. Yeah, Jack Hughes. And um, I know Ty Smith is in two years. So, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I was, like, the thing with the Devils is they're kind of similar to Nashville, where they have a lot of prospects that I could talk about as their best prospect. Um, two in particular for, for them. Um, Alexander Holtz was one that I was considering. He has 18 points in the SHL for in 40 games last year. He also played a little bit in the Bingham Devils with uh, three points in 10 games. But I decided to go with Luke Hughes because um, I think it, he could be a more interesting player for them. I do have some concerns with Holtz. I, I don't know if he's necessarily is going to, like, if it's going to translate to him in the NHL. So, um, but I, I think, like, and I, I guess the same could be said for Luke Hughes. Um, also, interestingly enough, because, like, Dougie Hamilton's on the team, Ty Smith is on the team, it's unclear how much, like, you know, what kind of role Luke Hughes is going to have when he does make it into the league. But the thing that I found interesting about him is that, like, you know, um, Guys like Owen Power, Matty Beniers, uh, Ken Johnson, who are eventually going to be his teammates, um, even like guys like uh, Cole Sillinger, um, like pretty much like all the top Mason McTavish, pretty much all those guys ended up you know playing in the USHL. Uh, Luke Hughes, uh, he is like he ended up playing for the US NDP, who does play some games in the USHL, but it's it's just like a different route than like guys like Owen Power and stuff. But he still put up like impressive numbers for them, uh, for for this this team, even though he's not he's about to be on a very stacked Michigan team. Um, he uh, so in, when I guess the US NDP. NTDP plays um, in both the USHL and the USDP league, um, which are two separate leagues. So in the USHL league, he had 15 points in 18 games, which is uh, very good. And then he had, uh, and then in the USDP, at 34 points in uh, 38 games, um, which is also pretty good for a defenseman in particular. Um, and then and we'll see what he is able to do in Michigan. Um, but I think it's like impressive that he's still able to do so well, even like even though it's like a lower league than like the NCAA or um, even like the CHL leagues. Um, so uh, what's also kind of interesting is like Quinn Hughes and Jack Hughes, although they're both very good NHLers, they're both under six feet. Uh, the thing with Luke Hughes, though, is he's six two, so he's a lot taller than both of them. I think Jack Hughes is five ten, if I am correct. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, he's five eleven. And Quinn Hughes, I'm gonna. Do you have a guess on how tall Quinn Hughes is? Um. Um. Five eleven. Five ten. Um. So. <laughs> um. So. So. Anyways, but like. Uh, Luke Hughes is six two, um, so so that's that's kind of like a, a an interesting thing. It's like he's always going to be compared to his brothers, especially considering like he's going to be teammates with Jack Hughes eventually uh, when he gets to the big show in New Jersey. But um, but like 
it, it seems like just from like a that standpoint of his height is six two, and he he weighs one eighty five. So I guess that's still kind of um, thin, but um, I, I guess for six someone who's six two. But, uh, like, it, it should be interesting to see because it, it seems like he has, like, a different play style than the, the other two Hughes brothers. Um, and I'd be curious to see how he plays with that. Also, it'll be interesting to see how he does with, um, interacts with Owen Power in, uh, in Michigan because those were, like, the two defensemen who, who were taken um, in the draft. And, yeah, I'm curious to see, like, how they're going to um, coordinate in, in the in college and there's a potential where Luke Hughes could outperform Owen Power at, at Michigan. When I look at the New Jersey Devils and their defensemen, I think it's a lot outside of Dougie Hamilton. It's a lot of short-term guys like, yeah, Brian Graves may, maybe could be more in the longer term side, depending on what happens there. But there's a lot of question marks, a lot of unknowns moving forward, moving forward. When Luke Hughes is ready and Ty Smith is full stride, you're going to have those two guys spearheading that blue line. That's pretty good. So I like it from that side of things. I think New Jersey is good offensively. I think they're good in between the pipes with Blackwood and whoever else. Defense is their biggest weakness that they have to address. And now that they have a guy like Luke Hughes that brings a little bit of physicality, a bit of size to his game, but also a lot of tricks in the tool shed like Jack Hughes has developed and Quinn Hughes has developed. Um, that that just makes him tougher to contain, tough tough to stop, tough to play against. And that's really going to bode well for the Devils. So I'm, I'm very excited to see Luke Hughes make his NHL debut and make a statement in this league beyond that. Yeah, it should be fun to see. And yeah, you're right. The Devils do have like a lot of defensemen currently, but I don't think we'll see Luke Hughes in the league until like maybe even 2024. So, um, so yeah. there, there's plenty of time for him to to make some noise yeah. and, and make. They, uh, they have no reason to rush run him. Just exactly. Let, him, let let him develop. He'll make the league when he makes the league, and he'll be a nice, fine player for them. For sure. Um, and then, uh, in terms of wild card, I guess this is another one where technically he's not really a wild card because he was a first round pick. Um, he was also drafted in the teens at that too. But, um, but I, I feel like we should talk about him because, like, I feel like when you talk about the Devils, you you kind of mention Alexander Holtz. You talk about Luke Hughes, uh, Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, who are already on the team, Ty Smith as well. So, like, you know, those guys are going to be the core players. But, like, it's still, like, you kind of forget that they also have this guy named Dawson Mercer. Um, and he could end up being a big part of their core as well if he ever gets a, if he gets a chance uh, for them. Um, he uh, So last year for the QMJHL, the Chikudami Saguines, Saguines um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea, to be honest. That's, that's one of the... Yeah. Quebec uh, major junior teams yeah. that I always have a tough time pronouncing. Well, I I, I love pronouncing Chikunami, but then I started to like, should I say there? I usually, as you know, yeah. I usually don't even say the team name. I think but... I think it's I think it's tougher to say their team name five times faster than it is to say Chikunami five times. Yeah, fast. yeah. The one that's really tough is like the Val Dors one. Um, they have a Val for for I think that's yeah. how it's called. 
But the for I can't really roll my R's. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, it is tough to roll. Yeah. On yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, uh, Dawson Mercer had 36 points in 23 games for Chikudami, Um And that's 19 points and 17 assists. Um, and then he also played a little bit in the World Juniors, uh, six points in seven games. Um, and that's pretty good. Um, but, yeah, it's like when I see all these, like, scouting reports, it's like he's not known to be, like, a flashy skater. He's not going to be, like, um, uh, he's not going to be, like, a, um, a player that's, that's, you know, just going to be exciting to watch. But he... Like he gets the job done, it seems, and and that's all that's gonna matter um, in the end of it. So, um, so I think this is a guy that we should end up watching out for. Um, but but maybe I mean I, I guess he could be ready in a couple of years, but we'll see. Yeah, so um, he's currently a signed prospect, so he's currently in the, in their system, which is good. Um, I mean, uh, the one thing that really intrigues me is his goal per game pace. As you mentioned, Brett, in the queue, he had 11 goals in 61 games as a rookie with Drummondville. Year two, he has 30 goals in 68 games. Uh, that was his draft year. Um, or no, no, that was uh, no, that was sorry, that was the year before his draft year. He had 30 goals in 68 games, so he had some notoriety before he was drafted. And then um, in a split season with Drummondville and Chikudami, uh 18 goals in 26 games for Drummondville, 6 goals in 16 games for Chikudami. So that's 24 goals in a combined 42 games. Pretty good. And then 19 goals in 23 games last year. So that's pretty close to a full goal per game. Pretty impressive. And I think, I think that's important to keep in mind because everyone talks about Alex Holtz and his goal-scoring ability. If you get Alex Holtz and his goal scoring ability combined with Dawson Mercer and his goal scoring ability, yeah. all of a sudden you've got two guys on the Devils offense that can score goals and put up points. That's pretty good for playmakers like Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes. Yeah. So I'm really that that really uh, gets my mouth salivating just watching the I just thinking of the idea visualizing. Mercer and Holtz on the Devils in the top six, wreaking havoc for NHL teams. That could be low-key um, a threat to watch uh, in the Metro Division moving forward once they hit their full stride. Yep. Um, so now we go to the New York teams, finally. Now, now we go to the first New York team, the yep. Islanders. The Islanders. Um, so they... Um, they don't really add too many players. Uh, they did add Richard Panic, who we talked about when when that trade happened. Um, they there's like rumors. It's like it's the worst kept secret in the NHL right now is that uh, Zach Parise is going to join the New York Islanders. Uh, he has a connection with Lou Amarillo, so that's probably believed to be the reason why they're going to do that. But uh, and also connections not... to the Devils. If you notice some of the trends, yeah. like. They got Kyle Palmieri from New yep, Jersey. They point. got Travis Sajak from New Jersey. Yeah, Andy Green too. from New Jersey. Yeah, no, that, that is a good point, too. Um, but, yeah, so per, so obviously when the contract is official, we'll, we'll, let, you, you, we'll let you know. But uh, right now it's not official. But we're, we're going to mm-hmm. count him as an ad because um, it seems like every, every source, every insider was saying that Parise is going to be on the island. Um, so that could be an interesting move for them, but we'll talk more about that when it's official. 
What? I have a sneaky suspicion as to why, Brett. Um, right now, the Islanders are over the salary cap. Uh, yeah, so the last thing Lule Morello wants to do is back himself into a corner where everyone knows, okay, here's how much money yep. he needs to get out of the cap. If he has to make some moves, he'll probably make those moves first and then sign Parise for whatever number they give him. Yeah, that is I a good point, too. That, yeah. I don't know for a fact if that's the case, but I have a hunch that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, I, I'm now looking at their cap-friendly page. Yeah, they don't have any cap space at all, um, which is interesting, too, because they made a lot of moves on one day this past week. Yeah. And it's just like yeah, they, had, they didn't have to do it, that it if they're also like going to sign three ago, Yeah. feels like not long ago we were just like, what are they going to do with all their cap space? And they're just like, wait, what do you mean they're over the cap? Right, right, right. <laughs> well, there was that whole thing about, like, how uh, when they were doing the protection list for Seattle, they didn't have enough defensemen for Seattle to choose from, but then they had to make some moves mm -hmm. and stuff. It feels like Lula Amarillo uh, just always has these, like, sneaky little moves that he always does. It's it's kind of infuriating. He's a tough guy to read. He's basically the He's Bill Belichick. He's a tough Belcher. guy to read, and I yeah. love it. He's basically the Bill Belichick of the uh, NHL, except he hasn't won a championship yeah. in forever. Um, so, anyways, um, uh, in terms of subtractions, Jordan Everly was the Seattle pick. That's that could be a, end up being a huge loss for them, but uh, but we'll see. Uh, Josh Hossain, he has a PTO with uh, Toronto. Um, I didn't realize that he was even a UFA or something. They must not have qualified him, I guess, is the guess. Uh, Andrew Ladd is also, uh, we talked about that trade when that happened. And Nick Letty also, we talked about that trade when that happened, too. Um, oh, no, no, we talked about Nick Letty when we were talking about Detroit. Um, but we didn't end up talking about the, um, his impact leaving the New York Islanders. Um, it was kind of like a strange move, I remember, because this was because of that. Like This was like a couple days before they had to make that pick for Seattle and their protections list. It's like, okay, Nick Letty, he's not like a terrible defenseman, but he's not, like, he's not a great defenseman either. Um, so it was just kind of strange to, to trade him away like that for, for Richard Panic and... Uh, 21 second when they don't really even need that. Um, although I see here the second round pick ended up being At Aturatu, uh, who we'll, we're about to talk about pretty soon. So maybe that's why they did it, just so that they could have a couple, like some draft capital um, in there uh, for the next draft and stuff, and, and they just figure out a way to get um, another defenseman. When I forget what they ended up doing to, to reach that limit but um either way they they figured it out i guess um and then uh yeah and then in terms of re-signings and we just alluded to it uh they kind of signed um a couple of people on on september 1st uh they did uh Elias Rorkin, um who had a three-year deal for worth four million um this one i really like because i what was interesting is is that like I remember when the, the Bruins were playing them in the playoffs, um, and they started Sorokin, and I had thought like, oh, this is going to be terrible news for the Bruins because I like Sorokin looked like he was on his game. It ended up that for Varlamov was a big reason why the Bruins, um, you know, couldn't uh, do anything. But 
uh, Sorokin was looking pretty scary at the start of it, and he was a big reason why um, they uh, beat uh, Pittsburgh in the previous round um, in the series. So I, I feel like if, if that's any indication of how good he's going to be, um, sure, he still needs some development and stuff, but um, if that's any indication, he's going to be like, there's multiple Vezinos in his future, or at least considerations for him. Um, do you have any, I guess the way that we can do it is just I'll talk about each player and then you can mention if you have anything on them. So, yeah, so what sure. else do you have on Sororkin? Well, you mentioned the start of the Bruins series and how good he was. People forget how good he was in the Pittsburgh series where he yeah. basically stole that by himself. Like Pittsburgh had a lot of momentum when Barlamov was in the net. I think the whole reason why Sorokin didn't really start game two against the Bruins is because Barry Trotz has the idea of, okay, I have a 1A, a 1B goalie. Both are equally good. I can run with. I'm just going to give the Bruins a different look, and I'm going to go with Farlamov for game two. And I think that's basically why he did what he did. Not that Sorokin played terribly. It's just that they had the luxury of two capable number one goalies, and they were both playing like number one goalies. And Sorokin, not too many guys in their first year in the NHL can say, nice try, Sidney Crosby, nice try, Brian Russ, nice try, Evgeny Malkin, nice try, Jake Gensel, nice try, Crystal Tang. All of that offense, that loaded offense on that Pittsburgh team, Sorokin didn't care and was a big reason why the Islanders were able to win that series. And Sorokin, I think, can be... Not Vasilevsky a little good, but again, like I mentioned with Askarov, a legit number one goaltender in this league for many, many years to come. And we saw spurts of that this past season in a very tough division. Like, he would go up against some very talented teams and would shut teams down. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why he was able to do that is because of guys like Ryan Pulak, who it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. He's a UFA after this season. And Alan Pellick, who they just extended for um, eight years at uh, five plus million per year. Um, so the defense had obviously a lot to do with that, but so did Sorokin as an individual. He he played a lot of quality hockey and showed every bit of why he was so hyped within the Islanders farm system. And now that they've got him on this discount of a contract, I think he's going to outperform it by a mile and could get a decent payday when he's going to be a free agent once this deal ends. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's pretty clear. But, I mean, obviously he still has to perform, but I think uh, he's going to be a pretty good goaltender for them, uh, for sure. Um, so then we get into, like, three pretty questionable moves for, for them. Uh, Casey Sezikis, who's kind of um, he's a 30-year-older. He's a bottom six player. But he somehow gets six years. Uh, I mean, like, to be fair, the cap hit isn't terrible, $2.5 million. But six years, it's so crazy to me how, why teams do this, where they spend so much, like they give term, like long-term to bottom six players like this. Especially when, like, Sasekis is a fine player. He's not, like, terrible or anything. But he's not great either. It's just like, why, like, you could find... Any of these play like any any player on this from a free agency market, any given year, like you don't need to lock them up for six years. 
so so that part's a little strange to me. I mean, I'm I'm in a mood now. I'm just gonna go forward. Uh, <laughs> Anthony Bouvillier. I can I can kind of see this one. This one's not terrible, but but it's uh, three years, four point one million um, uh, per year. He's a left winger. He uh, he had a slow start, but he ended up picking it up towards the end of the year. Uh, he ended up having. Let's see here. He had uh, 28 points in, um, in 47 games, so that's not terrible, but um, you know, not not bad either. Um, and then you have Kyle Palmieri. This one I really don't understand. Four years, five million. Um, this, I mean, I understood why they ended up getting him in the trade for uh, for the trade deadline. Uh, they ended up getting a, a lot for him. Uh, they tr- ended up trading like a first round pick to the Devils for him and. Um, yeah, he w- he was uh, pretty good for them in the playoffs. He had nine points in 19 games. However, uh, two things. One, he uh, in the regular season, he had four points in 17 games. Maybe it's just like, you know, he needed a while to get used to it. But um, and, and like once he was in the playoffs, he was just in a rare mode or something. But there is some inconsistency in his game. He's never he's only had 50 points three times in his career. So it's like. Uh, you're not expecting like this type of play for him forever. Um, and it's like, yeah, he's he's a fine player, but he's not great. The other thing that's kind of weird is the big the biggest reason why they even got him was that he was supposed to be a rental because they have Anders Lee, um, and Anders Lee is has five more years left on their contract. So it's like. Uh, what what's gonna happen now? If you're, are you expecting Palmieri to have the same type of role that he had when Anders Lee was uh, injured, or it's like you can't you can't just like Anders Lee is still pretty good too, um, although I guess he's there in age as well. Just that that part doesn't make sense to me. It's like the the fact that the the reason why they even got a Kyle Palmieri was because uh, to replace Anders Lee for their playoff run. And and then they did it, and then all of a sudden they sign him again. I don't really understand why they even need him. So let's start with Kyle Palmieri. <laughs> I think it is an overpay. I think like Mikhail Granlin, I think he's a bit overrated in terms of the contract he was given. And he hasn't really even posted Mikhail Granlund in his prime type of numbers. He's been a good fringe, second-line, third-line guy and definitely brought a lot to teams like Anaheim and New Jersey and the Islanders during their playoff runs. I think Kyle Palmieri is a very effective player and will continue to be throughout this contract. I think it could be salvageable. It is a gamble. But I think it could be salvageable if he gets the right situation. And that's top line minutes. Because, yes, the Islanders had Anders Lee last year. And then he got hurt. And then Paul Mary came in to help fill the void. Anders Lee comes back, but Jordan Eberle is gone. True. So all of a sudden, hello, we need to fill a hole. Yeah. So right now on on daily faceoff, it says Anders leaves on the left side of the first line. Paul Mary is on the right side, oh, and Barzell in the middle. If Paul Mary is on that top line and reaps the rewards from Barzell and Anders Lee, he could get fifty to sixty points a year. And for all intents and purposes, 
this deal could be salvageable. But either way you look at it, as of now, it's a gamble. Yeah, um, I, I'll, I guess... I'll get to the other two uh, after you talk about um, my, my point, because I know you yeah, want yeah. to... Yeah, no, yeah. No, no, that, that is a fair point. I haven't really thought about the fact that he could be moved to the right wing. And if they, yeah, if, if they do move him to the top line as a right winger, yeah, I, I can understand that. At the same time, though, it's still very risky, because it's not like he... Yeah. Like yeah, he had a he had a decent playoff performance, and but it it wasn't like he showed anything great while he was there uh, last year. So th- that part still it's still, I still wouldn't have done it. But I guess I can see that point if if that's how they're going to use him. The good news is is that after this year, Boychuk's contract will be off the books, and they trade away Andrew Ladd. So that's two scenarios of dead cap that um, are going to be fully, completely wiped off their hands after this year. So so they have that going for them. And Thomas Hickey is also a free agent after this year, so there's more dead cap coming off. So that, that could help beyond uh, this season. As for Beauvillier, he is on the second line as a left winger with Brock Nelson centering that line, Josh Bailey on the right side. And Josh Bailey is a very underrated player. You want to talk about underrated players on the yeah, Islanders? Look no further than Mr. Josh Bailey. I mean, I think a lot but of players are underrated for the Islanders. Like, pretty much every player for the Islanders is underrated. Yeah. Yeah, even Andrews Lee, even I Andrews think, Lee, could be, yeah. you could argue, is one of the more underrated And even, like, players. Matthew Barzal is underrated. But Josh Bailey, I... I, I, I yeah, well, I, I think puck position-wise, that makes up for it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he's that underrated. But... Anyways. I I don't think Josh Bailey gets the the kind of respect that he deserves. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, and I think Anthony Beauvillier is a, a very nice young player. I think that contract, mostly because of the term, I think it's worth giving him. I'm I'm not I don't have any problems with that at all. Yeah, he's also Sizikis, 24 years though, old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's got room to grow. So yeah, that's exactly. the other thing. Sezikis though. I don't know what it is with bottom six guys, but Lule Morello freaking loves those guys. He gives yep. four-year deals to Matt Martin. He gives one to Komarov, who was on the outside looking in at various parts, still on the team. And now Sezikis is back for another six years. I If you bring him back for a three-year deal, that's fine. Six years is just way too much, I think. Yeah, it's a little bit much. I would agree with that. Um, as I've already mentioned. Um, in terms of prospects, um, yeah, the Islanders are, compared to the other three teams that we're talking about t- today, um, not that great. Uh, like, to the point where I was struggling on who's actually their top prospect. Um, I ended up going with Robin Sallow because I think he has a ch- decent shot of making the team this year. If not, we could see end up seeing him in, like, Bridgeport or something like that, but um, but yeah, he uh, so last year on a loan in the SHL, he had 30 points in 51 games, but uh, which is which is decent. Uh, he's a defenseman, by the way, so so that's pretty good. And as we've talked about before, it's like Swedish Hockey League's professional hockey league, so this is a bunch of like 30 year olds uh, playing, and um, so that's pretty good for for a defenseman at that as well. So. Um, so I'll be curious to see how he does um, if, like, once he goes over to North American Heights, whether that's in Bridgeport or in New York. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting because of all the best prospects that we've talked about, this one's the one that like 
I could foresee this one not necessarily panning out, um, or it is not as certain to, to pan out compared to all the other ones. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, an interesting thing. I'm not even really sure why new, new, the Islanders don't really have a deep prospect pool. It's not like they've, uh, necessarily been super great this entire time, but maybe it's cause like guys like Oliver Wallstrom, Sorokin, uh, Kiefer Bellows are all in the, on the team right now. Um, and those are like who are Dobson as well. Like those guys yeah. would be considered prospects, but since they have considerable playing time, they're kind of prospects. But, um, but yeah, at the same time, I don't know. I, I think Robin Salo could be an interesting player for them, particularly when you look at their defensive side of things um, where like, yeah, they have Adam Pellick who they signed long-term, but all the other ones, Ryan Pulak, who's pretty good. Noah Dobson, we've talked a lot about. Um, but, uh, like, Scott Mayfield, Andy Green, Sebastian Ajo, they're all going to be free agents in a few years. Um, and uh, there is some room for this guy, Robin Salo, who's, who's played pretty well in the Swedish league um, and, and could end up being a contributor for, for them um, in the upcoming seasons. When I looked at uh, some of the descriptions on elite prospects for Robin Sallow, who, by the way, not related to Tommy Sallow and not related to Sammy Sallow, two former NHLers, in case you're wondering, not related to any of them. Getting that out of the way. Probably a popular um, last name in, uh, in Sweden, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, Tommy Sallow is Swedish. Uh, Sammy Sallow is Finnish. I know because Sammy played uh, with Ottawa for a bit. Oh, Robin Sallow yeah, is Finnish. Right. Robin Sallow is yeah, Finnish, too. Robin Sallow is Finnish, yeah. yeah. So not related to Sammy Sallow, who is also a Finnish defenseman. His father is named Robert. But anyways. Side note, um, these are the descriptions that really caught my attention with Robin Sallow and made me think, oh, he's going to fit perfectly with the Islanders. So here's the first one says he skates well with very strong balance and overall mobility has impressive vision reading the forecheck and poise when pressure hey defenseman that can deliver under pressure can read the forecheck very well can skate well hey that's pretty good so that's description one here's description two he is effective in all three zones and can be utilized in all game situations so Lily Morello sees that and he's like give me that player so the Islanders got that player, oddly enough, before Lula Morello even arrived there. He was a second-round pick in 2017, four years ago. And here's his track record um, of professional hockey, um, both the year before he was the years before he was drafted and since the years uh, and since his draft year. Uh, so he mentioned the 30 points in 51 games in the SHL this year. But his professional hockey days go back as far as 2014-15 in the Liga. So in his debut season, he played four games, got no points. 15-16, still not his draft year. That's the year before his draft year. No points, 16 games. His draft year, 16 points, one goal in 54 games. Year after his draft year, five assists in 43 games. 18-19. 16 points, 4 goals, 57 games. 1920, also with the Liga, 
21 points in 46 games, eight goals this time. So his goal production is getting better. And then midway through that season, he goes over to the Swedish Hockey League, where he gets six points in 12 games, one of which was a goal. And then we get to this year, where we got the 30 points in 51 games. So that's why I consider him a dark horse prospect, because he's blossomed in the pros only recently. But I think in terms of offensive upside, in terms of ability to play in all situations, I think that more than anything, just the intangibles that he provides, the things that coaches and GMs love to see to be like a multidimensional player, a guy that can do so many different things, that's going to help him especially in a cap crunch where they're trying to find defensemen, you need to find NHL-ready defensemen. Mm-hmm. Robin Sal could be that guy when you have to make tough decisions where, like, okay, we need guys. Maybe this can work. Yeah. So I don't know if it's this year or maybe it's down the road, but I think at some point Robin Sal makes a statement with the New York Islanders. By the way, in case you're wondering, he's six foot one and weighs 187 pounds. Wow, interesting. Uh, and both- he's only 22. Yeah, I do want to shout out that uh, Bodie Wild is also a defenseman um, in their system, yeah. and Sam Boldu, mm-hmm. who we could end up seeing both of them around the same time as we see Robin Salo. So, like, if, if Robin Salo is not going to pan out, which I think he's probably the safer bet of those three, but uh, we could end up seeing Bodie Wild or Sam Bolduck um, play um, as well. So, that could be interesting. Um, in terms of wild card prospects, we actually have probably the the wildest card of the wild cards <laughs> prospects that we talked about uh, it's like by definition because uh this guy um if you asked any scout uh two years ago who would be the first overall pick in the 2021 nhl draft they'd all say aturatu uh unanimously however uh a year later uh he ends up going uh in the second round 52nd overall to the New York Islanders, um, and that's why he's a wild card because he dropped so much. I think people th- assume, like thought that there was a chance that he would slip, um, but like I don't think like but like maybe they were thinking like he would slip to the late first round, maybe early second, not to the late second round pick. Um, I, I guess a big reason for his slip was that he didn't really have an impressive season this, this past year. Uh, he played for Liga, um, where he had uh, six points in 35 games. It's not great. Um, and then he had seven points in eight games for the under-20 SM Jarja, which I guess is the league under them, or maybe it's like the junior league, because I would assume that means it's under the under-20s. Um, however, like I guess a big reason why people thought that he would be the first overall pick was like the year before that in that same under 20 league, he had 21 points in 30, 30 games. He also played a little bit in Liga for Carpot, I guess for all of these, he played for Carpot. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. I probably got messed that up. Um, but yeah, that, that same year he had four points in 12 games. Um, and then, um, and then even like in the world juniors, he had three points in seven games um, but, but yeah, I, I, I guess it's, it's kind of like there were some concerns about his skating and like, um, and his like intensity, uh, they weren't sure about some of his like, you know, different like postures and stuff, or it seemed like he wasn't as confident, 
Um, so, however, what was interesting is is that on the day that he was drafted, there was the summer showcase, which um, they sometimes do the World Junior Summer Showcase, where Atu Ratu was a part of. Um, I guess it's just a bunch of different games um, that that uh, countries play uh, during the summer. Um, and he had like a four goal game that day <laughs> as he was being drafted. And he ended up with 14 points in six games um, in the World Junior Summer Showcase. So like obviously that's, just, you know, it's a small sample size. But if that's any indication, it, it could be like a good, uh, it would end up being like a good, um, you know, kind of like a chip on his shoulder for the rest of his career. Um, and I, you know, he could use that motivation to be like, okay, I, I used to be the number one overall pick. Now I'm dropped all the way to 52. Uh, like, what's wrong with every team that passed on him kind of thing. So, um, yeah, he's kind of like the true uh, definition of a wild card where it's very possible that all these scouts were right on him and he dropped that that far for a reason. And it's not even that like a second round Rounder is that bad, but he did drop a lot significantly. But, um, but yeah, just uh, but he it could also be like a, a good pick for the Islanders because it's like, you know, they ended up making bank because this guy used to be the first overall pick, and they he could end up being the best player in this draft. I don't know if you mentioned this, Brett, but do you know what number he wears with Carpot? Uh, no, fifty-two. Yep. Oh, interesting. Was that before so he got I drafted? That, I think that chip has already been placed on his shoulder. Was that before he got drafted too, or did he just change it? According to Elite Prospects right now, it said number 52. I don't know if it was before that, but I have okay. a feeling it was after. Because that would be a crazy coincidence if that was before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was a crazy coincidence. Yeah. It was probably changed afterwards. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Anyways. Although he hasn't played any games yet, but anyways, they're still there. Um, taking a look at some of the natural gifts, and this is where I think there's a lot of upside, and this is why there was a lot of hype. Um, according to Elite Prospects, their draft guide in his draft year, when he's got the time and space to send the puck on goal, his, heart, uh, his shot tends to be hard, but also very accurate. And there's other characteristics he can do as well. There's, it's not just about his hard, accurate shot. He's a guy that can drive the center lane with the puck every single time, almost. Um, he doesn't have any sort of hesitancy to go to the net, not shy at all of going to the front of the crease. Even if he has to pay a physical toll on, on every shift, he's 6'2", 185. Uh, for a center, that's pretty big. Only 18 years old, too, so he's got room to grow. Those type of things, I think, the Islanders love to see. Guys that love to go to the net, not afraid to mix it up. And he can also be a versatile forward with good stick handling skills and his ability to think on the fly while remaining ready to distribute the puck will also serve him well. I don't think... The 52nd overall pick, the fact that he was picked 52nd overall, is going to fuel him. I think, I, well, although I think he will, but I don't think it's going to be the main piece as to why he could do well in the AHL level. I think 
he needs to be mentored well. And you know what the Islanders have done over the past couple of years? It's exactly that. They've mentored their players so well. I love the culture that Barry Trotz has implemented. And I think he can successfully get rid of any bad habits that Atu Ratu has. And when it's all said and done, I think absolutely within five to six years, this guy could be a capable top six forward for the Islanders and remain that way for a good number of years. Um, it, it It's just a series of unfortunate events that led to this point, but I think ultimately it's, it's going to be better for his career. Like we've seen several times, even in the case of top three picks, things don't always work out when you're drafted that high. Yeah. But now he's in a situation where like he's an early second round pick. And like, there are so many early second round picks that have, or, or even late second round picks that have made good NHL careers. So this, this is a minor road bump for Achiratu and there'll probably be several more, but I still think he's got a pretty good NHL future and he's, and he's going to deliver on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm cu- going to be curious to see how he does because, like, I, I'm always interested in those kind of players who, who like, people have said that they slipped in the draft, guys like Joe Valino, um, even, like, Philip Sedino, even though that was just, like, a couple of spots that he dropped. But, like, you know, a Joe Valino, Angelino, Angelo Esposito, can't believe I remember that name. That was a while back. Yeah, like, that was a name, boy. Yeah, yeah. That was a name. But, uh, but yeah, those those guys are always interesting where it's like, okay, remember that name, and, like, a few years from now, this guy, we could end up, like, hearing a lot about him. But I guess, like, just the fact that I pulled Angel, Angelo Esposito, I wonder what happened to that guy. Um, but, yeah, maybe, maybe there is something to um, – to that, but we'll see. I, it could end up, uh, you know, not um, not mattering, but it could end up like the range. The Islanders could end up like have been made made bank on that on that pick, um, particularly if he is actually the first overall pick material. So, so that's that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, like Angela Angela Spazio, you were talking about him. Like that guy, people forget. How much hype that guy had he was on the same world junior team as like pk Subban and john Tavares yeah. and jordan eberle yeah yeah i'm i'm gonna look him up while you talk eventually but um i don't even know if he's still playing to be honest yeah let's see here so he not picked, the nhl but he could be he was playing picked in uh the 2007 draft 20th overall it says here that the last time he played was in 2015-2016 for an Italy league, um, where he had 38 oh, okay. points in 31 games. But yeah, he um, he never got to play any games in the, in uh, the NHL. But it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Can't believe I I remembered that name. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, now we go to the New York Rangers, who made about arguably even worse picks than or moves than the Islanders. They kind of changed their entire philosophy um, this whole offseason. Um, I had predicted that the Rangers were going to be this breakout team uh, this next year because I felt like, uh, because I watched a lot of them, uh, a lot, lot, lot of Rangers games because, you know, I'm a Bruins fan. I was watching a lot of their games when they were playing. 
they always play them tough, and particularly that last Rangers game, Rangers Bruins game, it's like the Rangers like showed to me like, oh, this is the Rangers team that we're all we all should be scared about because it was like the game ended up being like six to five or something, um, but but the Rangers were like killing it. Lafreniere was was making moves. Adam Fox was in there. Panarin wasn't even playing. Um, and they were still, like, scoring points. That's how, you know, like, the Rangers were flying. Um, and, like, yeah, the fact that, yes, they fired their coach, uh, David Quinn. But, but it, you know, I, I felt like that guy even hindered it. And we talked about that when, when that firing happened. But, um, but yeah, it, it, but, like, these moves are starting to make me question if, if the Rangers are actually going to take a step forward this year or not. Uh, but going to that... Uh, they did make this move, which was probably, it was on that same day as the, the Seth Jones trade, and I think there's a few other crazy trades as well, but no one really talked about it as much, because, oh, it was the same one as the Connor Garland one as well, but this one is, uh, it sended uh, pa- Pavel Buchnevich to the St. Louis Blues, um, and the Rangers end up getting Sammy Blaze and a uh, 2022 second round pick uh, from Seattle. Um, so Pavel Buchnevich actually kind of had a pretty good year um, this past year. And I, I guess, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about uh, St. Louis in a bit. But, um, but yeah, he actually had a pretty good year. Let me just pull up his stats real quickly while I stall. 48 points in 54 games. So almost a point per game player. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, like, talk about underrated. Um, and, uh, and I, I guess, like, you know, I, I guess it wasn't too surprising when, um, uh, when, uh, James, after that Tom Wilson incident where he was hitting Pavel Bushnevich and Panarin, um, and, uh, Dolan was saying that, like, we just need to get tougher, and, and all that stuff. And we were all kind of like, okay, Dolan is the owner, but what can he really do? And then this move happens, and you're like, wait, 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 wait. What what are the Rangers doing? Like, why, why are they doing this? Uh, I guess you can make a case that, uh, you know, they may not have, like, this was just before the Seattle expansion draft, and they didn't need to keep him, but... But yeah, it just, it just seems so crazy to me to get a guy like Sammy Blaze... Who's not like he's not terrible. Like he he makes it on the score sheet every now and then, but he's more known for his hitting ability. Um, he's kind of like a younger Tom Wilson, but like a poor man's Tom Wilson. Uh, he had 15 points in 36 games last year for St. Louis, but like he had like I think like 160 hits or something like that, something crazy like that. But I don't don't quote me on that because I haven't actually looked. But um. But yeah, he's more known for a hit, being a hitter. Um, and then, uh, so they get Sammy Blaze. Um, I'm, I feel a rant is coming, but I have to, to say, get all this stuff out. Uh, they also trade... Rage for, flows through yeah, you. Exactly. They also trade for... Um, they also trade for Barclay Goutreau. Um, Here uh, it comes. Yeah, they get... Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning get a 2022 seventh round pick. Uh, you know, again, he's, he's a fine player. He can score every now and then. He's not, he's kind of like a death piece for, uh, for the Lightning. A big reason why they even won the, the Stanley Cup. But at the same time, it's like, 
you know, they also, like, he gelled well with Blake Coleman and Yanni Gord um, at the time. And, yeah, he has 20 points in 55 games, but he's also more known for his physicality and his fighting ability and his enforcing um, instead of his points. But, you know, he can score in a pinch if you really need him to. Um, and then uh, they sign Ryan Reeves. Um, which is, well, they like, didn't sign, they traded for him. Yeah, they traded for him. Oh yeah, good point. I thought it was a signing, but you're right. Uh, yeah, they, and it, no, they did not trade a first round pick like Pittsburgh did. But, but it was, it was, it was kind of like a Zach Ronaldo type thing. Cause it was a third round pick <laughs> in 2022. Um, and, um, it all goes back to that Ronaldo yeah, trade. Huh? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, so like, the thing is, is like, okay, I can understand getting Sammy Blaze. Like, I, I wouldn't have done it, that trade. I, I like Bucinevich more than Sammy Blaze, but I can understand it. You know, you're trying to get tougher, especially with what happened with Tommy, Tom Wilson. I get it. Uh, same kind of with a Barclay Goudreau, and we're about to get into that re-signing, which I'm not a fan of. But I can understand that, too. He has a pedigree. He knows, you know, he's on a, he was on a championship team. Um, so I get that. Getting Ryan Reeves, who's literally, like, just a fighter at this point, like, like that's his only quality, makes no sense to me. Like, like those, those guys used to be the only, like, players that made a huge difference in the league. But, like, Ryan Reeves is the last of a dying breed. And uh, where, like, you know, if you can fight, great. But, but you also have to, like, prove that you can do some, at least one other skill in order to make it in the league. Because, like, this league no longer, like, values, like, fighting and physicality and toughness. Yes, there are hits. Yes, there are occasionally fights. But there's not, like, fights every single game like there used to be. And the fact that Ryan Reeves, like, hasn't even, like, scored a point in forever um, is, is bananas. So the fact that you go out and get and trade for him and get like a third round pick for him, like what what are you doing, Rangers? What like like you were on a good you were on good like path and and like I thought Chris Drury knew what he was doing, but those three moves very very questionable. Now I'm like I'm not really sure if Chris Drury is ready for it because or maybe like James Dolan is in his ear or something like that, but. But, like, the fact that, like, you know, Lafreniere, um, it seemed like he, he was getting going towards the end. Same with uh, even Kako um, towards the end. Of course, you have Panarin, who's the, one of the best players in the league. If not, you could make a case for him being the best player in the league, other than McDavid, of course. Um, but, um, and then Adam Fox gets a Norris. Uh, Shashurkin was getting going. It seemed like once they traded away that cancer of TDA, um, they were in good position, but kind of like New Jersey, like it was just too little, too late kind of things. Um, and, and, and you're in good positions. You have a bunch of different prospects. You don't need to get these, these like tough guys. Like, yeah, maybe you can make a case that like Tampa won a cup with them, but it's not really like, like Tampa won because they're really, really good. <laughs> like, it's it's not it's not that they won because they got Barkley Goudreau. They won because they have Kucherov, Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, and Andre Vasilevsky and Victor Hedman. Um, those guys are their core, 
And, like, you know, Tampa is, like, they're losing their third line of guys. But they're not, like, you know, they're still probably going to make the playoffs. They're still probably going to win the Stanley Cup again. Um, like, like yeah, they, they did lose Blake Coleman, but they're still pretty good. Um, so, like, that's not the answer to how you win a cup. It's, like, just don't, like, go, like, if, if it's just this, like, old-school mentality that I don't like the Rangers doing. It's, like, I can understand them getting, like, a couple of those guys, but, but like, getting, like, Ryan Reeves, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think the Rangers are headed in the right direction now. So there's a lot to unpack here. Let's let's talk about the bottom six because I feel like that's the most important thing to talk about. I'm not opposed to them trading for Barkley Goudreau. I'm opposed to the term. Same with Sezikis. I'm opposed to the six-year term that they gave him. If it's for three years, fine. That's salvageable. I don't mind that at all. Six years, I think it's a bit too much. Ryan Reeves doesn't have that kind of a term, which helps the Rangers. I'm interested to see, and I hope a documentary comes out on how much of these moves were influenced by Tom Wilson just mentally breaking them oh, down. Oh, definitely did in that have one a game. factor, yeah. And it's funny because Pavel Buchnevich, if you recall correctly, on that retribution night, yep. was one of the guys that took matters into his own hands. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Literally yeah, went after Tom true. Wilson. Yep. And they traded him. Um, I don't think they traded Butchnevich for that reason, but we'll get to that in a sec. Ryan Reeves was a part of a solid Vegas fourth line that also had William Carrier. And before you say, oh, he only fights, he can also hit. And one of the best at hitting in the league and has been for the past couple of years. Who was his coach in Vegas? Oh, yeah, the new coach of the Rangers, Gerard Gallant. If anyone knows anything about Ryan Reese, it's probably him. And probably he knows more than anything how to utilize him and probably has an idea for where to implement guys like uh, Barkley Goudreau. And on the back end, guys like Jared Tenorti, who, um, what was the myth, drove 17 hours to beat up Tom Wilson? Right, right. Something like that. Yeah, 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 so they have him in the fold, and they also have Patrick Nemeth for, for depth. Yeah. Uh, to fill in the voids left by guys like Brendan Smith and Tony D'Angelo and uh, Jack Johnson. So now Sammy Blake comes in. Hopefully it, either him or Goudreau can replace the void that Colin Blackwell left behind. He was the Seattle yep. pick. I really thought Blackwell was one of the best bottom six forwards in the game last year. Um, hopefully Goudreau can fill that void. Again, to your point, Brett, no playoff championship run is the same. You're not going to see a team the next year win on their third line. It's like, oh, my God, Barkley Goudreau was on the third line in Tampa. This Tampa line was so highly revered, and they were such a pain. They asked to play against. Let's go get him and sign him for six years. You know what happened when Mike Keenan went to the Blues after the Rangers won the cup with him as head coach? The Blues didn't win the cup. They didn't even come close. And several players, including Brett Hall, grew tired of it. Like, he ran Cujo out of town. He ran Brett Hall out of town. Again, not all the situations are the same. Like, Mark Messier going to Vancouver after winning the cup in 94 at the Rangers. One of the worst times in Canucks history. 
for that team. So there's no actual sense of guarantee that, oh, we bring in Berkeley Goudreau, we bring in Ryan Reeves, all these guys with playoff experience and appearances in Stanley Cup Finals. This is going to change everything. No, no, it's not. There's still a lot of other holes for them to fill. So let's get to the Pavel Buchnevich thing. Money is what drove him out. He wanted the money that he got in St. Louis. Rangers wouldn't give it to him. And here's why. Mika Zibanejad is a UFA after this year. Whether or not they keep him is also a debate. But I would probably give the money to Zibanejad than I would to Buchnevich, although it's a 50-50 yeah. coin toss, to be honest. There's also Adam Fox, who in his second season won the Norris and was close to a point-per-game player in his rookie year. He's going to get a lot of money as an RFA after this year. And they just paid Igor Shizurkin a lot of money on a four-year or five-year deal. Eventually, you're going to have to pay guys like Alexis Lafreniere and Capocacco and all of those guys making big money at some point with their current with their current performances. So that's something I think the Rangers were keeping in mind when they were just like, should we keep Pavel Buchnevich or not? And I think that more than anything was the reason why they didn't keep Buchnevich. Now, the final thing that I will mention about the New York Rangers is the Jack Eichel stuff. Because I have a feeling they're going to be forever linked to Jack Eichel until Jack Eichel is traded to wherever. I don't think the Rangers are going to be better with Jack Eichel, in my honest opinion. I know he's a great player, top 10 player, a legit number one center on any hockey team. No doubt about it. Mm. But... Given the young team that they have with the lack of playoff experience, Jack Eichel's been in the league, hasn't played in nearly as many playoff games. In fact, guys like Panarin have played in a lot more playoff games than Jack Eichel as a New York Ranger, which is three. And Eichel hasn't has played in zero with the Sabres in right. his entire career. So I don't really buy the fact that Jack, that Jack Eichel in – the right areas will make the Rangers a better hockey club. And furthermore, his cap hit will strain whatever else they need to do. And that salary cap, they have 7.9 million in cap space right now. That will easily go away once they decide what to do with Sabanajad, what they decide to do with Adam Fox and all of the other guys. Ryan as well. And you add Jack Eichel's cap hit to that with trying to sign Lafreniere and Kako later later on down the road and Keandre Miller too that's bad news yeah I don't I mean it would be the most Rangers things to do um, is to get Jack Eichel because I feel like this is what the Rangers used to always do is they always got like the big the big name free agent or big name target trade target mm-hmm. um, and it never worked yep. um, like whether it was like Rick Nash, uh, Eric Stahl uh, back in the day, Matt Richards, Martin St. Louis. Uh, although Martin St. Louis ended up working out for them because they ended up going to the Stanley Cup Finals with him. But like Brad Richards, Brad Richards, yeah, that's another one. Although he was he was decent for them too. Uh, Chris Drury even back in the day. Um, Wade Redden. Yeah, Wade Redden. Yeah, so so it is a typical thing. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I I don't think it makes. I wouldn't be surprised because. As we just mentioned, the Rangers tend to do those type of things. 
But at the same time, it's like it wouldn't make sense just for cap reasons. Particularly as well that like Mika Zibanejad was pretty good th- this past year. I know he had a slow start, but he ended up like having like a sal- he ended up salvaging his season by the end of the year. Uh, Ryan Strome's also pretty underrated too, and he's a pretty good center for them too. So it's not like they really Who need also, Jack. Also, by Eichel. the way, also by the way, Brad, I forgot to mention, also on an expiring contract. Yeah, yeah, so he's, he's also going to be. A, yeah, that's a good point too. Although I imagine if they're yeah. going to trade for Eichel, they're going to probably have to trade one of Ryan yeah. Strome or Shemajad. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but uh, yeah, so so I and like you know the the Rangers do have enough assets to do it too because um, they you know they have a lot of young players as well which they use as their strength, but it could also be like a, a trading chip if they really want to accelerate yeah. this this as far. But yeah, I don't see it as well as the fact that like Artemi Panarin's making 11 million for like five more years. Um, mm-hmm. And and like uh, that's the same amount. And Jacob Truba is also making 8 million for five more yep. years. Uh, Barclay Goudreau is now on a long-term contract too. Even though it's like three point six million, it's like it, just like for cap reasons, it doesn't really make sense. Chris Kreider was resigned uh, for long term, so it's just mm-hmm. they don't they can't really afford to have another long term contract. And if they are going to have a long term contract, and, and, they should put it to uh, and, uh, Kako or Lafreniere um, or mm-hmm. or K Andre Miller or Adam Fox um, or Sabinajet. So it's like you know. As, as good as Eichel is, like, it doesn't really make sense. And to, to add to your rhetoric about the Rangers and their past mistakes coming to bite them and trying to clean up their own messes and then creating their own messes later, yep. Truba and Kreider could become a future mess they have to clean up in terms of the contracts yep. and the salary cap coming back to bite them. Yep. Um, in terms of... The reason that is because the Rangers get... Get, get this for a sec, Brad. The Rangers have five active buyouts. Yep. Granted, it'll be down to one after this year, but still five active buyouts. Most teams at max have two, and yep. they have five. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, it, it, it just, it's a recurring pattern. Like, no, no, you're right. Um, in terms of subtractions, um, more subtractions, we kind of talked about it, but Buchnevich was the big one. TEA, they ended up buying out, but, like, it turned out that he was, like, a cancer to the team, so it's, like, good riddance. Uh, Blackwell, I feel like they're, yeah, like... Yeah, like, I was a necessary yeah. buyout, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, he's another one. But uh, Colin Blackwell, I feel like he's he's going to be another one, like Callie Yarncruck, where they're really going to miss him. Um, and he's he's probably... He could, could be an underrated player for Seattle um, uh, when, when that happens. Um, I do want to mention, and this also goes with the buyout stuff, is uh, Henrik Lundqvist, he retired. Um, he's also counted in their buyout yeah. for the Rangers here, uh, where they're paying $1.5 million to Henrik for his last year, I guess. Um, and, um, yeah, so this, this, one is, this one was a little bit sad because he retired. Um, he was, like, I, I feel like he was probably one of the best goaltenders in this uh, past decade. Um, you can make a, a good case for that. It's just it's just sad because he only made the Stanley Cup Finals once and he lost it. Um, and um, But like he deserves to, to be in the Hall of Fame. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer in my mind. 
Um, I guess the only knock on him is that he never won the cup, but like that's like I, if if you're gonna knock him on that and and not vote for him, like you don't deserve a vote. Uh, he's clearly he was clearly <laughs> one of the best players in the NH, uh, best goaltenders in the NHL for like six years straight, um, and uh, he deserves all the recognition. Yeah, he ended up going four fifty nine and three ten. Um, in his lifetime, in 887 games, uh, he had 64 shutouts in his uh, in his career, um, and um, yeah, it was going to be a little bit awkward when he was when he was going to play for Washington and he signed there, but it turns out that he had this like condition that he couldn't play. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least, like, yeah, he never won his cup, and that's a shame, but he, he did win a Vezina. He was a Vezina finalist for the last, like, uh, for a few years even before that, um, for, like, and, you know, he was a big reason why the Rangers were in the playoffs sometimes, um, and he was, like, their best player uh, for a while. So it's, it's going to be sad to not see him in the league anymore. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he, he's, he's a certified Hall of Famer and one of the best in the league or in the decade. And we'll talk more about him later in the year, Brett, uh, when the Rangers retire his number, cause at some point this year, yep. they will do that. They've already sent out a release when he retired that that was the plan. Also uh, was a, would be. also was a seventh round pick. So, uh, that's, uh, that's yep. another, like, that's always going to be like, he's going to be with, uh, Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Datsuk as like the guys that like, Oh, like that's why we have seventh rounds. Cause you could end up drafting a Henrik Lundqvist. I would say he's the Tom Brady of the NHL minus the championships. Yeah. Yeah. Because of where he was drafted and the type of Hall of Fame career that he had. Like, I know he didn't win any Stanley Cups, as you mentioned, but if you look at the seasons he played, rookie year, Rangers made the playoffs. Year after playoffs, year after playoffs, year after playoffs, uh, 2009-2010, they missed the playoffs on the final day of the regular season. So entering that game, it was still a meaningful game, and they lost in the yep. shootout. From that point on until 2017-18, the Rangers made the playoffs. So up until the 2017-18 season, towards that final stages of that season, he hadn't played in a meaningless NHL game. There was always something on the line when he played. Yeah. And, and he was he a big gave reason for Rangers that. a chance to win every single time. Like how many how yep. many times can you say that about a goalie? Like he played X amount of games until he played a meaningless NHL game. Yeah. Like no, that's a good point. it's it's incredible how good he was. Yep. Uh the good news for Rangers fans is that they have another Lundquist in their system um already, and he's mm-hmm. actually our best uh prospect. So good uh I feel like that's the best um transition I think I'll ever have to do. I, I should mention that uh, this Niles Lundqvist, he's a, a defenseman, uh, that's not the only difference between this guy and Hank. Uh, Niles uh, spells his last name with a K, whereas uh, the Hank we know, the future Hall of Famer, spells it with a Q. Um, but, but yeah, that's the only biggest difference. Uh, they are both Swedish um, and, and, and whatnot, and both were drafted by the Rangers, of course. But 
Um, but <laughs> it is it is kind of a weird coincidence that uh, uh, the Rangers, I guess, always draft Lundquist, no matter how they spell it. Um, you know what's also funny about Niles Lundquist? I checked his birth year. His birth year is July 27, 2000, which is like a month after Henrik was drafted. Oh, really? oh, that's funny. He, he wasn't even born when Henrik Lundqvist was drafted into the NHL. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's actually kind of crazy with Pretty Hank, incredible. too, because, like, Hank made his NHL debut in 2005. Yep. So, that, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even realize, I didn't even put together that that was, two, he was drafted in 2000. Wow. Anyways, but yeah, that, and that is funny. And by the way, um, the, the prospect we're talking about, defenseman not yeah, yeah, that's what I, I, th- I think I mentioned that. I thought I mentioned that, but maybe I didn't. I <laughs> yeah, you probably, you probably. Um, he's 5'10", 187 pounds as well while we're at it. Um, but, yeah, he, he looked uh, he looked impressive uh, this past year. He plays in the Swedish Hockey League for Luella. Um, and he had uh, 32 points in 52 games, 14 goals, and 18 assists. Um even though he was, like, a first-round pick, I don't think people, like, when he was drafted, he wasn't, like, putting up as many points as he's doing right now. And uh, he's, like, I think a big reason why he's kind of, like, jumped jumped up on these prospect rankings over the years is pretty much because, like, he's scoring a lot more as a defenseman in the Swedish Hockey League. Again, a professional hockey league. We, I mean, I feel like I always say that whenever I talk about the SHL. It's a professional hockey league. Um, and it's, uh, it's just impressive that he's able to like put up that many points in a league that has a bunch of older players in it. Um, and, and yeah, so like he is, uh, elite prospect says that he's going to be on the Rangers opening day roster. It's, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen. We'll see. Maybe he, he starts in Hartford. Um, yeah, but but I could see, like, maybe eventually, like, we'll see him up here. Um, I think it, it would be a little bit tough to see what he's capable of because uh, Truba, they have, I mean, other than Truba, Adam Fox, and Ke'Andre Miller, like, I guess, you know, he has some room there. Um, this is where I have to, like, look at the right-handed stuff. Oh, he's a right-handed defenseman. <laughs> uh, Truba and Fox are both right-handed defensemen. So that could come into uh, effect yeah. um, eventually, but um, but yeah, that that could become interesting if, if that's truly going to be a factor. But but yeah, I, I wonder what they're going to do. But it, it will be exciting to see him in the league. Um, yeah. Again, similar to what we've said with young up-and-coming defensemen or young up-and-coming forwards that are coming into these situations where the position that they're entering is just loaded with current NHL talent. I don't care if it's the AHL, if it's the SHL, or if it's in junior. Just give him the time to develop properly. Give him the number one power play minutes. Give him the top-line responsibilities. Give him chances to succeed game in and game out. He's not going to get that on the third pairing as a rookie. So just let him play out one year in Hartford and go from there. I That would be my guess. Unless he blows the doors off a training camp and you have no choice but to put him in your lineup. 
even then I still would have I still would keep him at Hartford because he's more likely to have success there. And again, a league amongst men, you put up like ten points in forty one games as a rookie. That's a good starting point. Actually, that was his second year. Uh, his first year, he had five points in twenty eight games. Then he had ten in forty one. Then he had thirty one uh, points in forty five games, eleven of which were goals. And that was the year. Uh, that was two years after he was drafted in the first round by the Rangers. And then um, this year, as you mentioned, 32 and 52, 14 of which were goals. 14 goals, league amongst men by a defenseman that is phenomenal. And he was also playing for Sweden at international events and also excelling very well. Uh, Two points in five games at the 2019 World Juniors. He had eight points in seven games. Seven of those eight points were assists uh, in the 2020 World Juniors. And uh, obviously too old to play in the World Juniors again, but played for Sweden at the World Championships, only played three games, but in those three games, got five assists. So excelling in best-on-best scenarios, just put him in the best uh, best situations and, and watch this kid go. They have a lot of promising young defensemen. Obviously, K. Andre Miller's in the conversation. Yep. But I think in terms of, like, promising offensive products – you have this guy at full strength along with Adam Fox, man, the Rangers are just going to be so, so tough to contain with all of their promising young forwards on top of that. Yeah. You, 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 at some point, you won't have enough hockey players legally on the ice to contain all of them. It's it's just going to be impossible. And, and the fact that he's also a mobile puck-moving defenseman that can make quick decisions just adds another layer of deceptiveness. Uh, that makes him tougher to contain, which is something that I think Adam Fox, uh, that's what makes him tough to contain is because of those intangibles, because of those traits that make him so deceptive, so tough to contain. And now you add a guy like Lundqvist on there, it's just going to create chaos and a lot of problems for opposing defensemen. Right, for sure. Yeah, it should be, um, yeah, I, I guess it's like a, like a, like, a good problem to have is that they have so many young players in their system, but but yeah, at the same time now it's like okay now you you have all these guys developed and they're kind of NHL ready. Now what? Because then you have like good players in the NHL too, so it's like they're not, they're not all going to be in the AHL at the same time. They're not all going to be in the NHL at the same time. So so yeah that's like the second part of this rebuild is having to figure out like okay which guys can we trade away for assets which guys can we keep and be a part of the our our core even if it's like in the third line or third pairing guys um and yeah you, you'll end up seeing um wild card uh, prospect is another guy who we'll probably see in the nhl um is and in fact he only he did play ten games for the Rangers this past year, um, and he had four assists there. Uh, Zach Jones is this guy's name. Um, he uh, had um, he had uh, twenty four points in twenty nine games in UMass, um, and then the year before that he had twenty three points in thirty two games. Um, he also played a little bit of the, in the world championships for team USA, where he had three assists in 10 games this past year. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, he's a left-handed defenseman. And like, as I just mentioned, like Truba's 
a right-handed defenseman. Adam Fox is a right-handed defenseman. And Niles Lundqvist is a right-handed defenseman. In terms of left-handed guys, Ryan Lindgren, who had a decent uh, season this past year, um, and uh, Ke'Andre Miller, who's like one of their other prime defensive prospects as well, they're both left-handed guys, but um, Zach Jones could end up taking a spot there, or, you know, maybe it's possible that Ryan Lindgren or K. Andre Miller aren't as good as we think they are, and uh, Zach Jones could start to take over and, and be something. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting when you look at these kind of stats. It's like, oh, okay, this guy could actually end up being pretty good, even, like, Let's say Adam Fox needs to miss some games, or um, even Jacob Truba needs to miss some games. Um, Zach Jones could end up like taking um, a, taking a, a big proportion of their like power play times or something like that, because it seems like he has some offensive defenseman abilities um, in in his arsenal. So, so that's something that they can kind of get used to and he could be like a good replacement for Tony D'Angelo as well. Um, I just realized. So, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, an interesting guy to look for. Um, what's interesting too about Zach Jones is that he, he spells his name without an H it's Z A C. Usually guys with that name it's it's Z A C H. Um, he's also five ten, So he's a shorter defenseman, which is probably why he kind of slipped under the radar but he was also like a third round pick in 2019. So he's, he's still relatively young at 20 years old. Zach and Zach Jones, that's my nickname for him. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, height and size, 5'10", 172 pounds. Uh, unlike Lundqvist, I uh, was drafted a bit lower. Um, Lundqvist was, I believe, a first round pick. Um, this guy from Glen Allen, Virginia. Not exactly a hockey hotbed, um, but nevertheless, third round pick, 68th overall by the New York Rangers uh, in his draft year, which was uh, 2019. In that season with the Tri-City Storm, he had 52 points in 56 games, 45 of those were assists. And uh, since then, he's played two years uh, at the University of Massachusetts, as Brett said, and looked pretty good as a rookie, 23 points, 32 games, only three goals. Then exploded for nine goals in 29 games and finished with 24 points this past season. So his points per game and his goals per game went up. Pretty good stuff. And then four assists in 10 games for the Rangers. And then even played 10 games with the Americans at the World Championships. Not too many guys um, at the age of 20 can can do that with relative ease. And Zach Jones is, is a rare breed in that regard. On October 18th, he'll turn 21. He is currently 20 right now. Uh, according to McKean's Hockey in his draft year, uh, Zach Jones was labeled as a guy that is very adept at getting past the first layer of defense, uh, doing so with a series of drags and dekes, and his quick hands uh, can also uh, help him in, in those situations. I think the fact that he's a left-handed defenseman, I know he might be a wild card in terms of Skill, comparatively speaking, to some of the other uh, prospects we talked about, Keandre Miller, who's played a, re a decent amount of NHL hockey already, and Niles Lundqvist um, as well. Um, but I, I think in terms of positional needs, um, the left-handed shots are going to be important for the Rangers moving forward. So in that sense, 
um, Zach Jones has as a decent shot of even making the year uh, of even making um, an impact on the roster faster than uh, than uh, Lundqvist could, and maybe in, maybe if the offensive upside is just too tough to ignore, maybe they consider uh, putting Lundqvist uh, on on the left side yep. to kind of balance out the power there if he's open to that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the advantage that Zach Jones has over Niles is that he um, he's a left-handed guy, and so that that could end up helping them out in the long run for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, so that about does it for us here at Lace Em Up. You can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. That's about it. You can also listen to us on. Uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast, make sure to subscribe at least them up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 286 of the Lace Them Up podcast.